Ah, the magic of the two musics overlapping, letting me know that we are in fact back for another all new episode of X's for Show, which you can check out on all the social, not letting it go, at X's for Show. Uh, as for me, I'm Nico, and you can check me out not letting things go about artificial pronunciations of abbreviations at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm TK. You can find me never letting go that this whole bunch betrayed Lori Metcalf, Debbie Salt, queen of the 90s, and I remain a fervent disciple. Lori, I won't you, let you down. Are you I'm, I'm salty about we this. We let you yes. have Killer Bob. You did let me have Killer Bob, and I appreciate that. Uh, that's probably going to keep some real demons off my back, but... Uh, I don't know that in this demon-free world I'm living in, I can live with having disappointed Laurie Metcalf so badly. So, Laurie, I just want to say, because I know you do watch the show, I am sorry I did try my Part hardest. Part of the show, Laurie Metcalf. And if you want to talk about this and so many other things, uh, you can reach out to me at TK Elemental on every social media platform. Social med. <laughs> And that makes me your producer, Kevo, and you can find me on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And for those who weren't able to catch it yesterday, uh, Teak is specifically referring to our Villains Showdown broadcast, where uh, he was very disappointed by one of the ghost faces being edged out. I'm sorry. You know, that's just how those games work out sometimes. And until we come back to edge a ghost face, uh, we have a guest with us standing on next to me. Uh, Jonah, where are you from? What's your name? Where can everybody find you on the web? Oh, well, I guess uh, that makes me Jonah. And you can follow me over at any social at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. All right. Today's not about uh, monsters, not about murderers, not about Halloween. As much as I am here for Halloween every minute of every day. Today is about uh, a magical little show uh, where you always have to be very careful to keep the first word singular and pluralize the second word. We are going to be talking a lot about Lego Masters. And while we're at it, speaking of things that get built from the ground up, we're also going to be talking about RuPaul's Drag Race UK Season 5 premiere. Uh, But I want to be like, it's actually like Season 5.1 because I definitely watched some insane versus the world. Uh, that was an experience. Um, we'll get into how the verse of the world format bothers me later, but uh, I it's am... not it's not UK. It's different. That's why it's its own name. <laughs> fine, fine. Point one though. So uh, <laughs> we are here though to talk Lego and Drag Race. And here's my question for you, because I can already tell you. Um, the question is, what IP do you want to see get Lego fight as a challenge? This season on Lego Masters, what is your dream Lego competition theme? Honestly, meta. I want to see them have to create the Lego Masters set out of Lego. And I want them to have to, like, do their competitors and, like, think about how to make their competitors. And, like, who does, like, the most loving thing? Like, I I think that it could also be, you know, a a drag race challenge where they have to like, you know, do cute little drag queen mini things. But like, I do think the Lego Masters meta challenge would be really cool. I get that. Teek, do you have one loaded or no? 
Well, the thing is, I have not seen every episode of Lego Masters, so I do not okay. know everything. Well, you haven't but... had every baked potato either, but you still know what you want on a loaded baked potato. Even if they did your dream, they uh, could always do it better. Yeah. Um, I gotta pray on this for a second, so Kevo, take it away. Um, I think they've done Marvel. I don't think they did it well. I think they did Star Wars, but they did, and they did do Star Wars moderately well. I would love to of the Disney IPs now that it's you know Fox and everything's all together. I would love to see more direct Disney IPs, maybe a Disney princess theme to one of the challenges, uh, whether it is uh, building one of their castles or building the landscape of one of the. Uh, terrains in one of the films. There's a lot of really awesome opportunities. Our dad is a huge Disney Anya collector, and he uh, collected this line of the Disney castles, and they are all so unique and beautiful. And it would be really cool to see those created in Lego. You, are you ready now? I got it. Or are you just dancing? Okay, He's you're ready. It. He's got it. I'm ready. He's ready. Uh, I want everybody to recreate a famous TV set. Uh, yeah. And obviously it can't be Friends because we friends, already did that. Friends, um, Queer Eye, they're out. But yeah. Right. Anyone that hasn't been done. But like, uh, you know, like the this group that we had uh, in this new season, like I picture that old grandfather wanting to do uh, the Andy, what's it called show? Uh, Andy Williams. Thank Andy you. Andy Griffith. Griffith, oh, Andy Griffith, right. I'm yep. a, I, yep. I just... Andy Williams is Christmas, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah um, I'm getting ready to hang up my sock. It's a thing. No, no, it's all good. Uh, I yeah, Like doing so anyway. a scene, too. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Doing like doing the yeah. Uh, chocolate yeah. scene from, from Lucy. Stuff Ooh. like that, yeah. yeah. A scene from The Honeymooners where the police come and finally arrest Ralph for all of his threats of violence against his harmless wife. And you get uh, extra points for putting in flashing lights. Yeah, I love that. I will say I really loosened this up because I was going to say it needs to be iconic TV sets from the 90s so that somebody would do Twin Peaks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. You have to put in a recording that speaks backwards. That's what you mean. Jonah, what's yours? What's your your dream challenge? So I have two. One, this isn't necessarily a dream challenge, but more so a cruel challenge if they want it to be evil like they're on Drag Race. Um, Have them build from memory uh pre-made sets where they just can only look at the made set and say okay build that from scratch that would be it by the bricks they're given yes um and no illegal builds no none of that you have to make everything and the closest person wins uh but actually i think a very fun challenge would be a Willy Wonka inspired challenge. Mm. Mm. I would really enjoy Willy Wonka inspired challenge. You know, I also would love, uh, you know, because they've done things like, you know, classic art, they've done theme parks. I would love something a little bit maybe different than the cultural expectation of what gets built. You know what I mean? Like make a couch. Make yeah. a table. Like, build something instead of... Oh, couch and table. Yeah, I get you. Exactly. That could be a lot of fun too. So... All right, we did our big question. It's time to it's time to really talk for a minute about Drag Race UK as part of our big opening question since it's going to come up. I just I just want to say to start. I have okay. I, I have never seen a and I've only seen like 11 international seasons, right? So I'm only so caught up. I have right. never seen a bunch of 
of young drag queens, as the Canadians call them. Um, I have never seen drag queens from another nation behave so American. Uh, sure. These UK girls are like seriously a Burger King crown and a Whopper away from just straight up being USA girls. It's crazy. Are we uh, getting into this now, or are we just like having? Yeah. Okay. Intro. Just like you know. Sure. We have a we have it in the title. I just want to put out there. Yeah. That, sure. Uh, this is a an interesting point of difference where I feel like Lego Masters is exactly in line, but UK season five felt very different right away. I can't speak to Lego Masters being in line, but uh, this season to me, it does not. I what you're saying is 100% true, but it has been trending in that direction, even. Even though I think like the previous season four was the politest, like most sistery group of queens, I think um, well, something and that's incredible. Seeing as Saint Lawrence was in season two, <laughs> uh, I think something that we are seeing is that other countries just tend to know to not be such a fucking mess on reality television. That is what and, I am saying, right? And they also have realized that if you don't do it you don't get crossover acclaim. Uh, so, you know, especially like season one, they really tried to make Viv and Davina DeCampo have that fight that was about nothing. And they were just so polite and like each got in the most polite dig. I'm to make a dress. I don't, I don't think that's the end. That's all of it. That's the whole fight. And people quote it like it's the Shangela throwing the, you know, I don't have a sugar daddy throwing the glass at Mimi on first. Greatest daddy. moment in Drag Race history. Um, but now I think this is a group of girls that has decided they are going in messy, regardless of the fact that that is not local custom, because this is international superstardom, baby, and mess is what sells. So and we'll get into it live more. over there. Yes. Yeah, this is a, a load of very unserious people. Yeah. Uh, all kind of just combating one another in a very hilarious way. It was just almost refreshing of how unserious and how playful they all were with each other that made it me really enjoy everything that everybody was bringing i thought uh it is a slightly smaller cast i think it's typically about 12 queens for an international season uh but we have 11 well actually no we have 10 queens i apologize <clears throat> we have 10 queens and it's one of those things of oh I really appreciated that this first episode was no, we 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 need a little bit more time to get to know everybody. Uh a la what they were doing in a couple of seasons of Drag Race. Sorry, Irene on season 15 where they decided to stop that trend. I really appreciated that getting having just having a little more opportunity to try to get to know everybody a little bit more. I completely agree. Um and I do like that it wasn't a weird contrived setup like splitting them into two groups and eliminating somebody no. and then bringing that person immediately back they literally the whole like the whole we'll talk about this for during the drag race episode we got to do lego first well, but you know it's in the title and yeah no i know well and speaking yeah, of titles, we're gonna talk about it yeah speaking of titles yeah uh, i would like to say that while this person's title may say like guest star it is always very special guest star the kind that you secret in at the end of the episode so you don't blow the surprise but in reruns you put their name earlier uh we have an amazing contributor with us today who is uh entering the world of uh, contributing the lego talk 
and I could not be more excited. Uh, I would love to bring to the stage none other than Jake. You ready? All right. Oh, hello. 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 Hi. Uh, hey, Jake. Look at you. One. You're in front of our brick wall. Yes. Yes, because we're here to talk about bricks, and that was the background oh. that was most appropriate. Don't talk about the queen's makeup like that. That's not nice. nice. When, you know, you no. gotta, when, you, when all you have is, like, a giant wad of cotton to cake something on. So, Jake, where can everybody find you on the interwebs if they want to build themselves a Jake figure? Uh, Instagram, because you can buy Jake bricks there. Um, yeah, I'm at the Heart Farmer uh, on Instagram, and that's I think that's pretty much the only place you can find me right now until, you know... You are technically on Blue Sky, you just don't use it. Oh, yeah, I am technically on Blue Sky. We should work on that. What are, the, what are those messages called? Cloudies? Oh, I don't like they're blues. Are they blues? Because I was hoping they're like storms. Oh, I'm storming up some messages. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've blueed a couple of times. I'm a big uh, blue shirt. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Sky's Huge. the limit with us. So really blue is. sky. Uh, sky high. The brick sky. Uh, and until we hit that brick sky, here's what I want to start with. My first question for anybody who does Lego in any form is what's your Legoing? Like, where is your Lego happy place? Do you like building a set? Do you like watching someone else build? Do you like designing your own thing? I like modding sets. I like buying the standard set and changing it a little bit, or in some cases, changing it significantly. Uh, I turned Thor's house into a three-floor apartment at one point, Ooh. and it's supposed to be just like an open loft. So, like, you know, have fun. But, like, how do you Lego? I'd like to start with Jake and then go around the room. Well, you know... I've always kind of, I mean, since I since I started collecting sets as an adult, I kind of approach Lego like a puzzle. Um, and so I think of it as like a, a three-dimensional puzzle that I get to build over time. And it, you know, takes a lot of focus. And it's just, there's something really, you get into like a flow state with it. You could just be doing it for hours without even realizing it. So I'm a big, like, give me a big set and I will just, I'll like spend three and a half hours straight sitting there building. Let me build up that scoliosis plan. Oh, yes. I need a curvy spine. spine. Yeah. That spine's an S shape, girls. And the S stands for bricks. <laughs> the that's S stands for bricks. <laughs> yeah, but that's me. How, how do other people like Lego? For me, I'm uh, give me smaller sets of characters I've like of different IPs. And so that I can collect minifigs without having to specifically <laughs> buy those minifigs and some cool little trinket that goes along with them. Like, for example, I very much love my rocket raccoon uh, ship that comes with the little baby rocket. <laughs> the little baby raccoon. Um, baby rocket. It's my favorite. Uh, I had a really nice time building it. I Very similar to what Jake was saying. You kind of just zone out. You put you put on like a nice TV show that you don't really need to like pay attention to in the background. Mm-hmm. And you just have noise. And then you, just, you put your bricks together. And it's like, oh, cool, you made something. And then it just sits on a shelf and then you don't do anything with it. Yep. That's, uh, that's, that's the plan. That's art. <laughs> At least you made it. Right. Now, Kevo, you do a lot of watching. Yes. Of You're late. less of a builder, more of a watcher these days. Uh, in my youth, the way that I would Lego was I had uh, one of those buckets of uh, the mini bricks, uh, and it had a few interesting pieces in there. There was a window, 
that opened, uh, and I I had a very specific configuration that I usually built to be my Millennium Falcon that involved that mm. window. And you know, looking back, it it did not look like the Millennium Falcon, but it's how I used to play Star Wars or. For some reason, Muppet Babies, Star Wars, because that was a great episode of the TV show. And it was in uh, the song. You couldn't avoid it. I didn't have any green bricks, so yellow had to be green, but that was fine. Uh, yeah, I I really love all of the major pre-pack sets. There's so many beautiful ones. Uh, you got me the Christmas Hogwarts one, because that one's very special to me. Uh, the f- fourth Harry Potter movie. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of it's really great. Uh, is it doesn't come with any astroturf. I made a turf joke at J.K. Rowling's expense. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no. she's a medieval turf. She's not from the stars. Oh, uh, truth. No medieval turf. Uh, I love your um, daily bugle. That one is beautiful. I look forward to putting that one back out someday and decorating it for Christmas. Because it's enormous, and modding it for Christmas as a Christmas decoration will be so cool and so special. And that's one of the things I love the most about it, too. I love the sets that exist, and I love the things that you're able to do to them to make them special to you. And like I said, their art, uh, our parents collected precious figures, precious moments figures, and all those dumb things. And we have this. And that's great. And Madame Alexandra dolls. Yes. Oh, and those were terrible. This is, you know, no different. Steek, how do you build? Big man, how do you do? Uh, I am not the world's biggest builder, but I, uh, as I get myself there, I aspire to something akin to how you do it. uh, Because I like creating little slices of worlds that are based on yeah. preconceived sets, but then follow my dreams. Like you have the uh, the Disney food one that has us all going out to get ramen. Uh, and you know, you have the bugle with every superhero, many of whom did not come with that bugle set, but like that's an event happening at the Daily Bugle, which is super plausible in the Marvel universe. Like that's a whole world right there. And um, that's really what I like most. Um, but I've got a, I've like really been thinking I've got to find the right, like first set to be that, that one that I lay everything that I have into. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. I love that. Well, I'm very inspired by you. So, you know, how do you do it? Yeah. I, I really, for me, the art of a really good set is finding something that's like, like 1200 pieces your day off and uh just don't come up for air uh i like to actually film my builds so i film them beginning to end and um i watch them uh i look for where i make mistakes and i look for where i could organize myself better um i have like systems for opening the bags and laying out the pieces and i need different color surfaces so that i never have to wonder about colors on things Mm. and um I keep a color chart nearby so that I can compare brick colors uh, in case of very specific brick shades. Uh, I, I, for me, it really is like a science. It, it, I, it brings me great joy to build methodically, which is where I can tell you I would psychologically shut down on Lego Masters. <laughs> wouldn't 
even be a thing. I can do a custom build. That's not a problem. Right. But for my custom builds, I need like two weeks just putting it together, taking it apart. I might actually make like, um, what I do is I use like Google Sheets and I'll lay out yeah. the side and with color and stuff. So I'll like, I'll lay out the, the wall of the building in Google Sheets and stuff so that I can measure what I need. And I, I need like two weeks. Lego Masters asks you to produce art in such a specific medium, in such a unique way. When you think about painting, Painting is the limitlessness of whatever you choose to use. And I certainly believe that Lego are some of the most uh, dynamically uh, versatile toys ever, really. But it's a brick. It's a fucking piece of plastic, and it goes in so many directions. That is it. To find the art in the limitation of the bricks available to you. And 5 million, as they say this season, is no small number of bricks. But the level of unique sculpture work I, i'm not saying that anybody on here is rodan but i am saying that i am moved by the ability to operate within a medium that is exclusively about self-reflection because you know solo play is self-reflection you know what i mean well and it's 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 yeah. an art form it's them and, and these are the art these are the materials of the art i mean there's no it's 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 got enough breadth to it. There's enough variety and diversity of those those like fundamental components that you can really expand in any direction. So it is it is a palette. Yes. Do you think the two person team is a big contributor to getting being able to do these challenges, or is it a personality type that? It's a certain, you know, it's a certain kind of contestant, regardless of whether or not they, you know, have backup, which of course is going to help no matter what, but a certain type of person that builds this way. Hmm. You say that sometimes I, I look at some of these teams and I'm like, yeah. I built that. one is carrying the other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you... There's always a Barbara and a Rosalind right next to each other in every pair of siblings. You know what I mean? Yes. It's just, you get, you get, this is the thing I love about the show though, is like you get all sorts of pairings, like strangers who've just met each other, people who've been like online buddies, like BFFs. Cute older gay couples. I really love their dedication to making sure that there is usually a gay couple in there and they're usually very cute and usually good to stay for a while. Except the bears. I'm, I'm not ready to talk about that emotionally yet. I'll get there sometime, but. It felt very go back to Wilton Manors where you belong. How dare you? Go back to Party City where you belong. Exactly. Oh my God. That was the, we, that was looking at them like they were in shake and goes. That is what it felt like. Ugh. Um, gosh. So how do you guys feel about the, I'm having a little bit of difficulty with this first challenge. I loved these boats. Number one. Anybody who collected Lego from 1989 to 1996 is incredibly familiar with the number of boats that they released in that time that all had the U-shaped uh, slide fronts. You stacked them forward four tall. You put in the second deck. You stacked them forward three tall. You put in the first deck. You stacked them forward two tall. And then you built the top of the party boat. Everybody had one of those boats from 1989 to 1996, maybe 98. Some of these were literally just takes on that. Like legitimately just takes on the classic sets. Some of them used 
color stories that I found uncomfortably similar to very legitimate sets to the point where I yelled at the television a few times yes, aggressively. <laughs> and then oh, at one point said, and you can Google what I'm saying. Cause like, I was so angry. We had an audience so in our room and he was like, everybody at home, go look it up. You can see what I'm talking about. It was just the three of us. I felt a little disappointed by the fact that this week's challenge was build a boat because automatically a boat has so much internal unshowable. I felt like mm. it was a limiting first task compared to other seasons where it was build your parade float. A parade float is something that's exposed outward to the world, whereas a boat is something that feels like it's inside. And then four people got dinged for having their story inside their boat. Amy, Janie, Nanny. I oh will right that's it i hear what you're saying and i agree and it's also you know the, you make an interesting point that like this is a particular kind of challenge where a lot of people are going to be executing it based off of prior knowledge that they received from sets and that's the smart way to go honestly uh that's the quickest way to get it done does it lose you creativity points uh it kind of feels like at this stage no uh like it's just too many people and somebody's going to screw up worse than you copying a 30 year old idea. Um, so, you know, on, on par, <laughs> on par of planning, you know, uh, looking at the, the planning aspect, I get it. Uh, I think what you say about the inside is really true and it's unfortunate because that's a whole, that is a whole thing worth exploring, like creating a tough to get to, but well-planned internal moment is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, this was weirdly about, will it float? Will it float? Okay. Oh, yeah, actually, I... if we can, uh, we have uh, an engineer amongst us. And yeah, please. So, uh, will it float? Will it float? Is so, it cake? Is it cake? Uh, speaking of cake, so this... Uh, first challenge was oddly very similar to a different <laughs> reality competition show, Baking Impossible, where mm, in that yeah. show, it's a pair of teams of an engineer and a baker, and that first challenge was make an edible boat that can float across this raft, uh, this straightaway. And uh, it was very eerily similar in a way that I was like, did they... It makes logical sense that this would be a challenge, even for a first challenge. I look at the other first challenges. You know, we had the parade float. We had the um, uh, build your piece of an amusement park. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember what season threes. We had cars. We had we had so many things. Yeah. Um, but even throughout the seasons, there's been different things that they had to build, and like you know, actual floats and houses. And so this the the idea of the boat wasn't that um, it's not out of the realm of anything of them to make, especially because there are probably plenty, as Nico points out, plenty of uh, pre-made boat sets that they create for you to build at home. I. From a reality production standpoint, it felt very weird that they placed this emphasis on will it float or not, and then did not show everybody's will it, you know, them attempting to drive their boat. I understand that there's a limited amount of time. You're also making reality television. You have to tell your story. Some people just aren't important to the narrative of that episode. That's how reality television works, especially when you have 24 people there. Too many people. Yeah. But it was almost jarring that they just skipped on teams entirely when that's part of the criteria. Unfortunately, if you're basing this off of two parts of the criteria of the design and building portion 
as well as does it float portion, you should be showing us all of the judging for that. It felt really weird and dare I say a little lazy that they didn't want to show us everybody's. I also don't know exactly how to feel about the boat because whereas I, I find it a little bit more difficult to figure out, okay, how do you put your personality in the boat? A lot, a lot, a lot of the design criteria that Jamie and Amy often look for is your personality, your perspective, your creativity, those little details. They talk about it all the time in every single episode. They love little details that have meaning to you and to the story of the build. With a boat, I thought that was very stifling creatively because if you want this to float, there's only so many different shapes that you can make this to make it actually float. As we saw, we had a couple of teams go a little too heavy, a little too big, and they just kind of toppled over. There was also this one team of older women who just drove their boat into the side and then floored it into the side to their boat just crashing and just destroying itself. Um, it was a little weird. I, to, Classic. <laughs> bizarre. Um, but ultimately, I don't know if this was my favorite first challenge because it also felt like, not that you can't ask for more as the seasons go on, but it was asking for a lot. Oh, yeah. I absolutely the levels of vision the levels of vision that you have to consider the amount of visuals the inside of the boat the outside of the boat the overall design of the boat the placement of the story within the boat i found that very challenging to give these guys you know eight to ten hours for that was a little overwhelming now jake i know that like we've been watching since like week one and i know that you kind of came to it uh, a little bit later and like you absorbed it like after the fact in a way that I'm really jealous of because week to week kills me. Week I mean, to week it, makes me die. It's a great show to binge, really. Really? Um, Will Arnett is actually like a fantastic reality show host. I would never have seen that coming, but it's he's he's good. He's very charismatic. But um, you know, I like the challenge. I like um caveat though. Like I, I like that um like you say, boat building is is something that a lot of Lego folks come up with the skills knowing, come in with the skills knowing how to do because it's such a classic build, something that a lot of people will know at least some of the rudimentaries of. But there's an engineering challenge. There's the the floating capacity. Like, is there enough buoyancy for it to stay up? And there's the aesthetic challenge. And I think that, and I think that what this to me what this is most indicative of is the fact that they're trying to calibrate season to season what's going to work and what's going to set the bar for the rest of the season. This could be a very ambitious season. And if this is the bar that they're setting, I'm really curious to see what their, uh, what their subsequent challenges are going to be, because if it's that cutthroat, well, this could be really cool. On the other hand, um, the editing can be a real problem. You know, it's, it's, there is a narrative economy here and they do spend a lot of time on glitz sometimes and not enough time on the contestants. I feel like the intro was way too long. Um, I feel like we could have gotten to know the folk, you know, the, I mean, we could, could have gotten to know everyone a little bit better, but especially the folks who left. Um, so it's not my favorite first episode of the show, but it's definitely, uh, I'm definitely eager to see where we're going with it. Also, I'm, I'm just curious, but does anyone else get like a, like a general kind of Latter-day Saints vibe from some of the contestants on the show overall? Like, yes. through seasons? The married like, couple. Are you guys LDS? 
Um, the married couple uh, that we just flashed past. Yes. Um, these two honestly kind of. Uh, there are a lot of lookers this well, season. And sometimes you're these two. two. These two. Have 12 children. And I'm like, you have 12 children. These two they heard the commandment. <laughs> the hot teachers. Oh, oh, right teacher is so hot. It's just unfortunate because it is just a white tea and tie that we These think, two. oh, they're on, they're on mission. <laughs> oh. uh, Not Poppy. So when I no. worked, when nice. I worked in Disney World, uh, on my first day of training, I we had to wear a button-up shirt, but it was like 93 degrees. So I wore a button-up short-sleeve white dress shirt and a tie. And my training day involved 60 students from Brigham Young University. And they all came up to me and said, hey, we don't know you. Are you on your mission? And I had to be like, no, I'm so sorry, guys. I, I didn't even think about the fact that there's like a cultural, you know, a cultural thought of, you know, the, the Mormonism look. You know what I mean? I had never even considered that element of it. To me, it was a hot day and a dress shirt I could survive. <laughs> Um, so I do get that, like where we kind of project a certain element of look and you know, it's the same thing. Like when you see a super, like if somebody walked out dressed like Adam Lambert in that much eyeshadow, you'd be like, Hmm, yeah, no, he definitely has poppers in his bag. <laughs> it wouldn't even be a question. What brand? Oh, you, Scorpion. Jungle juice. We, oh my God. We all had different brands. I don't brands know any brands. Rush. <laughs> mm. So, um, I, I only mean to say uh, our comments are all meant really positively and warmly yeah. uh, just about the way we all kind of project ourselves onto these characters because when you see someone you identify with, well, suddenly you are obsessed. And uh, legitimately, I did feel that way about the young gentleman who was there with his grandfather. Uh, I could see a lot of the way that a lot of my uncles because uh, I didn't have any close grandfathers, uh, but I was very lucky. I had avuncular surplus, and um, avunc uncle. Yeah, avuncular. Well, it's a, avuncular. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great oh, word. It's such a good word. It's an actual it's word. The actual word. It's an actual word. Av means of, and avuncular uh, of uncle. Uncle like. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I love this pair specifically because it actually takes a lot to get family to do something like this together across a generational gap it takes poppy not being afraid of being the old man and it takes ben not afraid of being the contestant labeled his family guy you know what i mean this was just a really cool pair um it does not hurt that i have that literal outfit and by that literal outfit i mean both um one of the very fascinating things about lego masters and it's maybe just the people who are into the hobby of Lego is a lot of these contestants are just real people so much so that uh, to go back to a little bit of a point of what you were talking about, Jake, where I think I agree that Will is a really great reality competition host. He has to goad them into making very fake reality TV moments because that's, these are just actual people. This isn't something like Drag Race where they know that they're on a reality competition show and they act slightly differently. And even if you can ma you know, map your experiences to their experiences, Lego Master, I don't look at myself and go, that's me because I don't do drag and I don't relate in that way. But on Lego Masters, these are just people. This, These are just like Mary Beth and Joe from down the street well, with their 12 kids that they brought over. 
and to that point, like RuPaul has catchphrases. Literally, like, grandma. You better work, <laughs> and you know, cat and stuff. Like you know, RuPaul has all of no. these crazy cat catchphrases. And um, how's that people? What? Yeah, exactly. And what the hell is Will Arnett's catchphrase? Look at Banner, Michael. Like, I mean, it's not the same thing. So there's even a more relaxed atmosphere. To your point, I think like they even try to make it a world that is your living room in many ways. Well, I, t- I totally agree with that. And I think that this show, as a point of comparison, is more like like Great British Bake Off than it is Drag Race. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and so Will is doing the thing where he goes around and he connects and he reassures. And when people have, like, disasters with their builds, he's there. And yeah, they want to get in their faces and, and you know, show them crying and stuff. But he's still... This is the thing that I like about him. He's He, 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 he doesn't abandon them. No. Um, he gives them he gives them human support, um, like like Mel and Sue used to on Great British Baking Show, and like uh, Noah and Matt tried to. But this isn't a Great British Baking Show moment, anyway. Um, but I think that as as sort of like a framing for a point of comparison, GBB works a lot better for me for this show and understanding kind of how the dynamics work, how the hosting works, what the vibe is meant to be. Like you said, like it's in your living room versus like in your kitchen baking. Like it's very it's homey, it's comfortable. Yeah, it is. It, there is nobody here who goes on the show thinking this is my reality TV moment. These are people- in season one, though. <laughs> oh. There are a couple in season one who was just like, mm, "You're here to be on TV, aren't you?" I and don't one think. What well, one of those gentlemen now? I don't think, now, the word uh, I, would... I, don't think the word I would use though is "homey" for this. I think the word I would actually use is theme parky, which is a mm. different kind of inviting and a different kind of for all. At first, mm-hmm. I wanted to say it's got like a community center vibe, but like that's not quite right either. But like, yeah, I think it's like a theme park type Angel situation or bar. like a theme attraction. Angel Yeah, I, I, Kevy, yeah. I can actually, in it's terms of the color, place. the openness, I can see what you mean by it's meant to have like a a community activity center kind of vibe like like a, a diner yeah, like a multi-purpose <laughs> center almost like I, I really see the recreational element you know tk i got you i gotta let you know i'm so excited to hear everything you have to say once you're off mute i know once i'm off mute it's also got a little bit of a store vibe uh like very much this is a this is a sales tactic this whole show in a very brilliant way yeah. i love that uh but there is really a vibe where they are in uh a Lego market sweep store and it's just grab whatever you can as quickly as possible, uh, which isn't bad either. Um, but yeah, I mean like as much as we all have this belief that like reality TV doesn't work without drama and that there is no really like reality TV is not really real and it is scripted it's edited those things are true but also it only works if people play characters um i think weirdly shows get themselves in a rut that means that it always has to be that survivor big brother drag race great examples they don't function their best when people are behaving entirely like human beings there have to be moments where they behave like characters and do plot related things that are not real that is completely on top of the fact that they any reality tv show will make people redo a scene uh to get it properly covered 
uh, even if the original moment was real, and that's fine, these people will have to repeat it in order to make sure yep. that it's covered. So the fact of the matter is there's artifice no matter what, but I think there is a class of shows, as Jake mentioned, like uh, Great British Bake Off is another really good example. This is a great example where for some reason it would just be insane and horrible to watch if people behaved like unhinged. they do on Survivor. It, yeah, it would just be unhinged. Uh, food Trucks is one of the only shows that can walk that line. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But not to call out anybody specific, that one woman who wore the tiara. I'm going to lock quit. myself in this public <laughs> bathroom. Yeah. That was intense. There's that, that was intense. Lina. I can't it's do this literally anymore. literally like a Bigfoot sighting. They're like, she's over there. And she's running into the bathroom. Yep. And it's like, you fall. It's. And then it's just a shot of the tiara on the ground. It's yep. so that crazy. show in particular is wild uh, because they'll be behaving like normal people for a really long time, and then suddenly the lady from Kana is just like, "Fuck the world! I'll burn it down myself." It's like they literally oh, spin their cool. brick head. They yeah. literally just turn it, and now it's yep. the scary face on the yep. other side, and they put on the yep. mean hair. Yep. <laughs> reality uh, to to echo kind of the point you're saying reality television often works best when people when real people act like sitcom characters yeah where it's this idea of oh if you just had the actual emotional intelligence and maturity to like communicate what the problem was and like just try mm -hmm. to work it out and not like raise your emotions to a level that becomes a little too exhausting to deal with the actual situation it's not as entertaining no it's boring i'm remembering season one where the guy was like i don't think you understand the spirit of lego oh my god <laughs> it was like, that's mean that was mean uh, <laughs> all i know is that you know we're saying all of this about lego masters and i think lego masters has the benefit of being like the name brand mm -hmm. but i think about domino masters and how that was a really fun show but immediately being back to Lego Masters, I'm like, mm-mm, not the same. Domino Masters was fun, and seeing uh, that evidently uh, Fizbo is just Eric Stone Street's creation, holy God, um, was illuminating of his character as a person. Oh my God, he's really an august clown. But, sure, um, you know that was kind of the thing I walked away with Dom from Domino Masters with. I didn't walk away with a new appreciation for dominoes and thought of ways that you could never use dominoes before. I say that as a Cuban man. Trust me, my people know dominoes. But good gracious, uh, Lego Masters and the possibility of building one episode in, I'm reminded why this is a really beautiful, challenging show. I would love to get everybody's perspective on what they're hoping for from this season. For me, I would like to see them bring in some of the, unfortunately, I understand this to be true, but financially prohibitive elements of Lego a little bit more readily um, because this is a TV show and you can show them off here. It's not saying anyone who doesn't have these uh, sucks. It's saying these do exist. And there's a lot of cool motors, a lot of um, Technic products. Yeah, yeah. Uh, connects to, you know, computers. And there are a lot of really cool applications we could see moving to the engineering and STEM sciences of Lego. And it would be really great to get to see Lego Masters showcase those products, even if not to make them more available to 
purchasers in a direct way to let other companies know this is the technology that's out there. Step your game up. And I kind of literally mean game. Step your pussy up, baby. Well, Own a business. This would be such a great, a great brand to take into like a Lego Masters Junior too. And like to really lean yes. into the STEM side of things and yes. say like, this is how Lego is not just, it's not just about building models. There's a really... There's a really potent educational component here. People people go from Legos to fields of science. And that's, I mean, documented. You know, half the people on this show, yes, documented. Um, it's, and I think that that is, that is, I, I imagine that's got to be something that they're exploring because obviously kids still love Legos. So it, may, it would make a lot of sense for them to do some kind of junior show that would bring in high school age kids Mm. Um, who you know? Who are STEM kids? I don't know. I'm just repeating myself now, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, there's 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 so much room to grow this show and to really lean into uh, different facets of the show um, even harder. And sh- like, like, yeah, it's, and it's exciting. Like this 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 thing only has up to go. Uh, I completely agree. And, and to even add on, I think something I kind of miss about the earlier seasons is. I think every episode should have a small learning segment where it's Jamie or Amy are telling, well, hey, if you're at home and you want to try to follow along, this is what I would do. They're literal Lego masters. I love I, that. I would love for them to explain to Will, hey, this is how we would tackle this challenge and try to do a small just startup of this is what you should be looking out for and this is what you should be doing. Make sure you pay attention to this. Like, for example, this would have been a great episode to talk about, hey, if you're trying to use a different medium, like you want this floating Lego piece, you have to think about your weight distribution and the buoyancy of it. And I really would have loved a small little lesson for somebody and the audience at home, whether they're following along by themselves, with their family, with their children, giving the fun call to action to say, hey, go out and buy your own Lego and you can do this too. I think it's almost a little dumb that they're not doing that. It's you have you have a show that's promoting your brand and your product constantly yes we get it but like encourage people to say hey you can do this at home too on a similar note i would love to see them bring in guests that they have to work with um to try and like show people that you can come to lego knowing nothing Mm -hmm. and you know you can you can figure something out uh challenges where everybody is forced to kind of get out of their lego master comfort zone uh and like either teach somebody else or do something radically different i mean nico you actually really just like nailed the thing that i really want to see right on the head which is like using things like lego mindstorm and all the computerized uh and motorized tools that they have created um I think, you know, seeing some of the old people who probably are not comfortable with that technology learn something new mm-hmm. would be really, really cool. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, really focusing on the kind of learning and expansion and bringing more people into the fold of it all would be really fun. Makeover <laughs> challenge. Yeah. I, you know, it really pinged when you said old people that I hadn't really realized how many old people yeah. there are this yep. season. Dude, there's, mom. there's literally the grandmas. I was clicking on the wrong screen, of course. There's literally yep. the grandmas. There's yep. Poppy. Uh, the dude's mom. That mom is not young. 
No, that mom is not young no. Uh, no. in a way that is very different from Dude, the mother her, and son that we loved son. from the previous season. Yep. I'll bring the picture back up when you come back in the room, Nico. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of old people this season. Uh, I don't, I don't know how old they are, but you know, they're, they're young, they're, but they do, they, they do not like know how to use computers. They're no, not shit. Emily and Kelly are mothers, and not to say that if you're a mom, you're older, but they they are a little bit older, but they do have their own children. Is that their label? Yes, they are the mothers. <laughs> and then you have Mike and Brad, who. Uh, Mike, yeah, Mike and Brad, who are this older couple, um, together themselves, they're you know more middle aged than younger. Yeah. Yes. Well. So uh, just really quick, I, I I don't know if you guys heard me shouting in the background of Kevo's frame, but um, I just I brought out my little Lego family real quick while we're while we're shutting down the episode. Yay! Uh, so for starters, here's Lego Nico. Uh, this is oh, me. back a little bit. Here, wait, I'll put it so that we wait. Hold on, I'm I'm trying to. There we go. Uh, he has little headphones. He's bald. Little He's got headphones. his little beard. Uh, so then I of course have little Kevo, who wears a big backpack and has his signature blue baseball cap and hoodie. There's Jojo, who has his signature beard and full head of hair and business attire. Mm-hmm. Of course, I do love flannel. There's EK, who maybe looks the most like his Lego of anyone. Uh, just so handsome and wonderful. And then uh, the bonus figure in the pack, the Chase variant, uh, hot older boyfriend, uh, has his... Oh, my stuff. God. He's in his <laughs> men's warehouse outfit. <laughs> He's in his men's warehouse I've never noticed that before. Oh, my God. That hair is insane. It's brilliant, that isn't it? That hair is absolutely insane. Show it a little bit closer. Oh my god. That's insane. It really is exactly his hair. It's crazy. And oh, the eyebrow. That's wild. The yeah. eyebrow is actually... This is the Kumail Nanjiani figure from Eternal. Okay. Oh my god. Uh, uh, Kingo. Yeah. Uh, Kingo. And I, I used Kingo because that's the eyebrow you need to, to be him. I was like, is that Poe Dameron? Yeah, no. That I get. <laughs> I really get. Um, Wait, are you putting them back? Is he putting them back or is he staying? Oh, okay. Um, I think the thing I'm saddest about this season is once again, I feel like there isn't anyone for me to crush on, which is something that I like having in my reality shows. Uh, nothing will ever compare to season one. Hi. Uh, guy on the left has a active OnlyFans. Um, just saying. <clears throat> oh. I know he has an Insta. Uh, yeah, he got they were that. adorable. Uh, this one had a meltdown <laughs> that was adorable. Once, uh, oh, it's so sweet, Nico. I said that I would bring this up again when you came back in the room, but there was goddamn. There we go. The mother and son from last season loved that. Where, like, she and what was she 12 oh my god beautiful beautiful youthful literally, woman literally to have that was marissa tomei who competed <laughs> i also have saved here because i'm gonna want us to cover oh. holiday lego oh. masters season one when we cover season two for the holidays this year Guaranteed. so this really is this is just the start of our lego coverage well and for then, this gonna... television season I'm going to bust it out then before we move on to Project Run. Uh, Project Run. Please do. Project Good Race. 
Project, Project everything. Um, it was really nice seeing Leslie Jordan for a second. I, I imagine it was great on it. Back on for that coverage, I will probably cry, but it's okay. Oh yeah, yeah the advent yes. yes, yes, yes. Oh, I saw one of these recently. <laughs> We're gonna be uh, on the There is a advent. very special video. Uh, Nico, take over for me so I can do this. So uh, last year they did a special Guardians holiday special box, and we bought it. We unboxed it. It was literally, you can see me having a psychotic break the moment I realized there's six mini figs when the box only says there's five. You can also, you guys trying to figure out Rocket's tail and you didn't realize the direction it was supposed to go. And so it doesn't yeah, sit right. Yeah, we were so upset. Oh, that was a fun video. I loved making that video. It was a fun video for us to record. It was a fun video for me to make. And uh, we're really excited to do another uh, Christmas adventure calendar this year featuring even more uh, Marvel heroes. So and that's going to be fun for us to do. Especially at the holidays, something like Lego just brings people a lot of joy. And when you see something like our amazing super fan tasty cake, uh, my That's friend wonderful. is on dialysis, so he has bought tons of Lego to keep him going mentally. Great. I know that when I was suffering from the worst experience of panic disorder, like the worst symptoms of it, I couldn't leave the house. I had to like take a leave of absence from my job. Like Lego was there for me constantly. And so just hearing that somebody else uses that to get through hard times that's why Lego had to do a holiday special, not to sell toys. Yeah. We actually look at the sales. Like if you look at the air date on the holiday season, it's too late to move the toy market. It's too close to Christmas to make a huge dent. It really was just about, this is a thing that people associate with the holidays. Make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And-, and you know, you say, teach me the ways of Lego, you know, go on Lego.com and look through the sets that exist. See what there is that, falls in your interests uh i know you love doctor who there's doctor who sets i really kind of still want to get that tardis if i can it might only be on ebay but you know you look and you see where you can find maybe a secondhand set uh and that's okay it's just about the joy of finding things that you love represented in brick uh and building your heart's desire out of these pieces and speaking of building your heart's desire out of these pieces, I, I don't know that there's any better segue uh, to go to UK Drag Race. Now, uh, Jake, I know you are a Drag Race fan and an international Drag Race fan at that, as we've watched some together. Have you watched the premiere of UK Season 5? I have not. Bless your heart. Now, when you think about UK Drag, what is your first thought? It my should be that they only Atlantic Ocean. What? My first thought's Atlantic Ocean, because it's what's in between us. Well, it should be that they only sing live. Oh, that should say. be the oh, and no prize money. Yes. That's the other thing. I think no prize money, because that's what they do there. They get Rupee badge. Right Alcohol. Oh my god, and everybody... That's goes, everywhere. No, it's a little bit more over there. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jake, I can't wait to have you back on throughout the season, not just to talk about Lego Master, but everything you love that is a part of this show. You always have a seat here whenever you'd like. And until next time, could you just please remind the incredible internet where they can find your handsome self? Uh, you can definitely find me on Instagram at the Heart Farmer. Um, you'll have to request to see my profile, but, you know, I'm pretty, I'm generally friendly about that. Um, and I guess I'm Blue Sky as well, but I don't actually remember the thing, but next time I will. Um 
thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a fantastic, fantastic show to cover and fantastic people to cover it with. And I'm yeah, excited yeah, yeah. to come back for more and have a more solid Rick background. Well, and maybe we can uh, bring out some sets we both love and stuff and like, you know, show just like sets we have and stuff. Looking at my International Space Station right now. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so jealous. I can't even talk about it. I, I had to make a decision. Set. And uh, when, oh, I'm so proud of you. Such a good set. Okay. It's a great, it's a great set. It's a great set. Can't wait to have you back on, Jake. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. All right. Now let's talk about the trashiest season of UK Drag Race to ever happen. Let's Ugh. get let's get trashy. Uh, I love these queens, and I don't know what TK is talking about, that they all didn't jump off the page to him right away. Um, they did not. I will say- I wasn't going to bring that up, but now everybody knows, so Well, no, we just are. that they didn't jump <laughs> off the page right away. You didn't say anything like, I hate these queens. You just said like it, well, it didn't it didn't come alive the way other seasons had. And like honestly for me, the first thing that's off about this season is I hate this promo shot. Uh we had to look up yeah. what it was. I did not care for this. They all look this like is five, right? Yeah. yeah, what's the theme? Oh my number. So it's um specific I don't remember the, the exact name, but our friends over across the pond can tell us it's uh it like Royal Avenue or something. It's a it's like a brand of chocolates. Yeah, it's a chocolate have, box theme. That okay. have different color wrappings to denote the uh flavor. That's okay. um pretty popular over there. I think they also have them in Canada, I saw. It's a little obscure, but okay. It's a little esoteric. Uh that's fine. It's um, not pirates. Well, it's, see, I would love if like the background was like an actual chocolate box. Right, right. That. Yep. Is that the box? Is the heart the box? I assume the heart is supposed to be a gesture at the box. I would have yeah. gone a little bit more literal. Um just Tom Hanks's giant hands on the sides of a box. There so you, you go. Know that's a box of chocolates. That's how you always do it. Uh that's a that's a theme okay i mean like the american ones are so often based on clean lines minimalist looks solid print colors um it's interesting to see things like this box of chocolates with like a lot of ruffles a lot of feathers a lot of embellishments uh or something like uh our flag is death in the season of australia yes uh, that are really elaborate and specific like the i mean an american theme will be neon that's it it's just neon um and that's great that's fine but it's just knee off knee off sir uh but by comparison to like this is much more elaborate and i guess i can kind of go either way that that sort of basic neon is going to be inoffensive for the most part no matter what i want to start with one of the things that kind of took me by surprise with this season that made me like i thought i was going to chew off my own tongue in excitement their walk-in is part of the judging criteria mm. which that is was a shocker across any series of drag race the entrance look has never actually mattered and so when uh you know when tamara thomas came in looking like nelly furtado and banksy came in looking like an expensive jessica rabbit it really worked for them because they came in with some style. I was blown away by Michael Maruli's entrance look. I just really thought it said everything I loved about the 80s. But then Kate Bush came in quite literally looking like a Jinx Monsoon cast off. Uh, Ginger Johnson. I did who, not see that. 
she's one of the higher ones in my book. Oh, no, I, I agree. Later stuff. Oh, I, mean, I don't know. But I mean, if you're saying for the entrance, then, you know, not necessarily my agreement. But yeah. she actually proved herself throughout the episode for me. Yeah. But, oh, my God, how many of these girls have literally said, I just came in something to get, like, attention yeah. over the years? Well, oftentimes, and I imagine a lot of recommendation, if they have friends who've been on the show before, it's usually the first episode it's a photo shoot the, the first mini challenge is usually they're taking a photo of something so they often yeah. recommend hey something you can just kind of move around a little bit in it's a little bit easier to move you don't really want your entrance look to be like this full gown moment that it's hard to move and well like, and if you're a canada contestant you can get that advice straight from the judge oh neat. also also france also mexico okay i have to step away for 10 seconds but Jonah has tea so deliciously steaming hot. It is um, Peking, Oolong, and Earl Grey. And, uh, no, that would be horrible. Don't ever do that. No, not at once. It's on a tray. Okay. It's like a, uh, okay. it's a flight of teas. Go, a go step away teas. and let Jonah talk his talk. But I, what I understand is there's a, <laughs> a sherry pie 2.0. Oh, and, uh, boy, is there ever. I can't wait to get a slice of that. Yeah. For the uh, record, I would try a flight of teas. Honestly, I'm not. I'm not opposed to a flight of teas. Um, yes. So, uh, on Well Presents the YouTube channel, they uh, I, they did a small snippet of everybody walking in when it was literally just a look entrance line and like one little part of their talking head. And I watched that before I watched the episode, and I was looking at some of the comments. Uh, thankfully, nobody spoiled anything from at least what I saw from the little, little limited scrolling. But someone mentioned not talking about the Eleventh Queen. So my initial thought was, oh. They're bringing somebody back this season. I did not realize that there is somebody that else that they've cast on this season who they've chosen to completely eliminate from the episode. Now, granted, they did a very amazing job of removing this person because I genuinely did not know there was another person supposed to be cast on this season until looking it up and understanding, oh, this person has some serious allegations against them that was brought to production. Um... You will not see them. They will be disqualified. They'll be disqualified at some point on the show. Um, we, we will have no mention of them. We won't see them. And that's kind of just the end of it. But it is very interesting. One of those things of comparative to season 12 where that incident happened and it was admitted to. And we have this information. VH1 makes a statement about it. BBC and the laws in the UK are a little bit different about libel and defamation and what you can and cannot say. And because there's not, at the time, to my knowledge, a case against them, they have to be careful of what they say about things. Well, I mean, down to the fact that in the UK, you're literally guilty till proven innocent. And that really does change the way things are perceived and handled. Yeah. So, like, you know, they take having enough material and, and yeah they take having enough yeah. evidence and material to move forward very seriously so it does mitigate the way a is you know i want to say a compliment to the bbc to make sure that this isn't a mark against drag race yeah it doesn't feel real though because like 11 such a weird it was, number it's uh, not impossible no but someone else pointed out a lot of uh, a couple of these international seasons have had 11 recently, which is which is a weird number. 
uh, unless they are trying to pre-bake an episode of, all right, we have the safety episode. Nobody has to go home. Because typically, I, I think it kind of is more that. Plus, like, it literally is just one more. Like, they're giving you more for your money and every then season. you're cutting one right away, and then you're left with the actual ten of the season. Yeah, not kind this of. extra one. And you have the pork you know, chop. We'll call them the COVID safety. And, like, uh, you know, you keep your COVID safety. I love that. Uh, you know, the, the thing that I am adamantly concerned about is at what point are we going to start saying the vetting process might need to take a little bit longer? I don't want to ever blow not knowing who's on the season. Mm. But if you know who's on the season a little sooner... I shouldn't have okay. yeah I don't I don't I don't think I think we're kind of past a point where that should be a thing the surprise isn't that great uh people follow a lot of queens and it becomes pretty obvious you know if you really want to know you'll know if you don't it's really not that hard to kind of avoid it and in yeah. general I would loosen up on the draconian secrecy around who is getting on this show uh, especially in terms of like, you know, um, maybe even have like an almost American Idol-esque like pre-casting show uh, just to actually do exactly what you're talking about. Like kind of give everybody a chance to filter some of these people out. Um, or yeah, just put more money into casting and vetting. Like it might just be more man hours. You know what I want Rue to do? And she shouldn't do it. I would never do it. Rue, yeah, please. Yeah, don't do this. Listeners. Don't take this advice. But she should have 18 queens get on a live stage for a live premiere just the size of the finale. Yeah. And genuinely, only 12 queens should make it to the season the next week. That would be incredibly cruel, but really funny, really fun. It's a pageant. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a pageant. Yeah, like, no, I feel you. That, that is that is how pageants work, where yeah. they, they are eliminated. On I the believe. spot. Yep. At the first event. You are yep. literally sent home in a pageant at the first event for your cumulative score up through then. That's true. Sorry about it, girls. That would be very fun. I And that's always, like, I've said for a while now, I would like the show to be creating new products. Uh, and this is kind of a tangential conversation to being better about vetting people. Um, yeah. But, like... It's all part race, of it. Yeah, Drag Race pageant, Drag Race comedy show. Uh, now that Queen of the Universe is gone, get back to doing you know doing music stuff. Like, if these are either specials or mini seasons of like four or five episodes, I just like barreling towards season sixteen, another All Stars maybe, and then like being right in UK five, where the UK queens, as we talked about earlier, really seem to be noticing that the Americans do better because we are insane people on reality television. And the proof of that, U.S. has its own show untucked and no other country does. If y'all were crazier, you'd get your own untucked with bonus royalties. Um, But I am just a little bit like... I was uh, the first thing I noticed, not first thing I noticed, but the last thing I noticed uh, was the preview for the next episode where Caramel and Tamara are immediately fighting. And it was so clear that they're brilliant 
and are just like this is what the american girls do this like they're roommates a of course they fight b of course it is completely insignificant but these are two people who can tell who have studied what makes good tv and, and that line i do not owe you anything is such yeah. a genuine thing that members of minority communities have to scream at allies enemies allies so it's a it's a line that we all identify with yeah um and so i do see i see some interesting effect here i was very compelled by caramel and immediately that she identified that storyline you kind of knew that that was going to be a thing i think equally a storyline that i noticed that i was just really confused by that i felt like they were really focusing on is michael finally making it like he kept talking like he had gone to mordor to get on drag race Did you get an od the night before the finale in also, some sort of super staged 1987 movie of the week kind of way what was vicky talking about driving 400 miles to a gig for four people in a bar did you actually do that as somebody who has literally played his guitar with his band to just the people sleeping with the people in my band i will tell you it happened. It happened. I, sure. I believe the amount. I believe it happened in a bar. But I don't the know way if I that buy bust it, it's out. A yeah, four hundred miles from where. Yeah. Fifteen miles each way uphill in the snow. Especially because uh, English people notoriously don't travel far. Like they either go on holiday far away, but like with everything so close. It's right. so funny to me that they'll be like, and in the UK they'll be like, oh, a three-hour trip. I'm not going to Paris. Right. To us here be like, it's only five hours away. We can three hours get for in good the car dick, now. I'm in. That's America. <laughs> but in the UK, they're like 20 minutes and I have to take one bus. No. no, sir. Much. Well, and like, so sometimes, you know, I do, I do think about the way that actually affects who we are. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to have been out of the country. And that is something that very few people on the planet Earth get to say. You know, it's something, some crazy statistic, like 80% of people will never travel more than 200 miles from where they live. I've traveled thousands many times. And when you're talking about the UK, there are so many countries in such a small space. The amount of like unique cultural representation, the amount of beautiful accent, the amount of international identity that's in a single season of UK, United Kingdom, you know, this idea of multiple countries coming together versus the United States, which I know we are all, you know, 50 states. And sometimes it seems like 275 states, but, you know, from how different we've all become. But, you know, we all still sort of like worship at the altar of the Rockefeller Christmas tree and the Hollywood sign. So it's still the one nation with a bunch of six flags in between. But the UK is this unique entity for the way it is able to come together as a nation and reflect this sort of identity. I sort of wonder if something that this sort of drag race experience would benefit from is a little bit more understanding of the fact that not everybody in the UK is so bound by the limits of English. And the number of queens on here who were clearly fighting a bit of an uphill battle at times with being able to communicate in an English slang was of note. You know what I mean? Because they know that this is so internationally marketed. I sort of wish they would have that in mind as producers 
and maybe have a little bit more subtitling and have a few more international queens. I know that would be harder for production, but I would really love to see the melting pot of Europe better represented here. I mean, we do have uh, another immigrant on this season being Alexis St. Pete, who I find very fascinating. I, yes. I am fascinated by her. Uh, so I'm kind of excited. She, to she might her. be a horrifying monster. I'm really? from Sayreville, New Jersey. Quite she literally, might. We'll find out. There are three churches in town that say mass in Polish to this day. So as soon as I saw her, I said, ah, there's a Polish queen. The first thing I thought when I saw her. That's uh, what I wear to church. Which which one? The promo look or the entrance look? Oh. Entrance look. Or the confessional look. Oh, yeah. uh, he entrance changes into the other basket. in the sacristy. Um, the basket of pierogies? So that. I want to know. What wow. do you guys feel about this season to start with? Do you guys feel that perhaps Rue is getting stretched too thin? I really feel like Rue and Michelle make the same fucking jokes. And I I did an arrangement of Gina G's um, Ooh Ah just a little bit, which if you make it a little bit more negative, it sounds exactly like Jellyhead um, Crush, right? It's the same song. Um, but I said to myself, no, this song is like so perfect as it is. I refuse to do anything to it. Um, and I want to bring up one more time. I bring this up every every time. The year that Spice by the Spice Girls and Ooh Ah Just a Little Bit by Gina G both came out. Gina G got a Grammy nomination and the Spice Girls did not. 1995, right? Or was it 96? Uh, 96. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this song was even like super epic, super legendary. Yeah. But I feel like that is part of what this is starting to rest on the laurels of. Yeah. That all dragons on television is some form of a jukebox. Yeah. Perhaps Rue and Michelle, the jokes are getting old. Their their beautiful dynamic is still incredible. Yeah. I really feel like they both seem tired. They don't look tired. They look beautiful. They're not acting tired. Mo. They seem bored. They seem uninspired. They seem like they've yeah. been there. And honestly, I will take it a step further. I think it is primarily RuPaul. Uh, I think Michelle has some really great years in her, not working directly with RuPaul all the time. The bodyguard soundtrack years. Number nine. I think every time she goes off on her own, including last season, hosting an episode by herself because Ru so good. inexplicably couldn't make it, um, we really see, you know, it's not that like, Rue sucks and Michelle's got to get away from her. Not it is all. just that Rue managed to get a stage in spotlight earlier and do a lot more with it. And Michelle is a big part of why that has continued to work. But everybody's got to do their own stuff too. And I just feel like we have not quite seen the apex of Michelle going off on her own. Uh, I think, you know, as an advocate, an ally, as an older mother figure, as a person who, you know, stays on Twitter telling young gay men you are loved, uh, like... You're describing yourself, correct? 100%. Uh, that's, you know, the one meet and greet I've ever done, I met Ms. Michelle Visage, and that's why I haven't done another one since. Because I met Jinx, I met Michelle Visage, I met Alaska, I'm good, I'm done. Yeah, only go down. Uh, right, exactly. Everybody I met was exactly who I wanted to meet. It was perfect. I never want to ruin that. But Michelle was awesome and amazing. And you can right. tell that she is just the best 
mother figure. And I think she's got a lot more in her. So yeah, I mean, to go back to the original question, I'm, I'm so ready for this brand to change entirely. Uh, I think Rue is really at a point where she can disappear from being a presence and the name is enough. She can be doing bigger things and showing up rarely and it's a big deal when she shows up. But otherwise, she is the inaccessible woman in the castle. Don't bother her. She is taking care of bigger things for the community. Uh, I think that's better for her. I think it's better for the brand. And I think it represents what I believe is the right way for the entire set of shows to go forward and just to you know lace into what you're saying nobody Please. is saying that michelle is bound into darkness by ruth's shadow no 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 no. think about the incredible woman that was mary tyler moore who after incredibly successful years on the dick van dyke show launched the mary tyler moore show mm-hmm. and found existing successful actress valerie harper and elevated her to a new platform Nobody said, oh, Valerie Harper, oh, God, she's destroyed by being under Mary Tyler Moore. She had Valerie, and ultimately producer, you know, battles led to her leaving Valerie. But that's how we got Sandy Duncan to host the Hogan family. And I love Sandy Duncan. So, Sandy? Goodbye. Get out of here. Great Grease reference, though. Very good Grease reference. Very impressed. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm but with, you're, you're. I'm with so much of what you're saying, and not the I Sandy think, Duncan part. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, somewhat, somewhat with what you're saying on the Sandy Duncan part. I'm more mean what TK is saying with Rue. Uh, you know, really just directing her energy to places that I think would suit her better, rather than being in this repeated pattern. I, you know, what's that game show that she hosts that Lingo. we love now? Slingo? Lingo. Lingo. We oh, love yeah. her on we yeah. love her on Lingo. Yeah. We're talking about all of these potential ideas for uh drag content shows uh in terms of spin-off. You talked about wanting to see some sort of like drag uh comedy competition. Yep. I'd yep. love to see Rue pioneer something like that. Yep. Uh instead of just having to do this. And you know, goddamn, I wonder if some of it is just jet lag. The three True. shows that she's doing True. are triangulated around the globe of the yep. Earth. Even if you're a flat earther, I assume you believe those are in different sides of the disc. And that's really far to travel all the time. And, and that's just that's a, to do the show work. That's not all the promo and, you know, so yes, much other other stuff. A, a lot of wigs to carry, a lot yeah. of stuff. So I think To be fair, that's that, mostly just a body man who's doing that work. Yeah, but you know, she has to like sign off Point on it or at something. The wings. Probably, that's a lot. yeah, that. I just I want to ask a quick question about sling uh, about lingo. Jeez, what? I think if we really want to see Rue take her brand to the next level, I do think she should spend more time on lingo and similar products, similar properties, yeah. because she actually is a very connected woman and she has the ability to book. Like she could do celebrity lingo. I would really like to see Leah Michelle on Celebrity Lingo and guess the five-letter word dog. D-A-G. Dog. D-A-U-G-E. Dog. That is my Leah Michelle on Lingo impression and I stand. Did I win, funny girl? 
You're a Gleek now. You're allowed to do that, so no one can come for you. Ah! That's the best part about watching that show. You can say horrible things about the show, and no one can say anything to you because you watched it. You know. So, uh, so to answer the original question that you guys were talking about, part of the semi-problem that we kind of see talking about circulating online is RuPaul has a very specific set of references from a specific time period, kind of doesn't want to learn anything about any current references and refuses to really kind of jive with, you know, the TikTok YouTube age of uh, fame and media and that kind of stuff. It's RuPaul's show and RuPaul will do what she wants. She's the empress. She's going to, she chooses everything. It's her, it's her name. And it's not our show. It's often why she says, I consulted with the judges, but the final decision is mine because it is, it's her show. She does what she wants. However, I feel like it does come at a price of we are all, we are all the puppets and RuPaul is just pulling the string saying, okay, pull him this way to dance for me. And you kind of have to, if you want to make it far on Drag Race, it's her show. Do what you got to do to get far. Uh, do what you got to do to try to win the crown. But it does feel a little, you know, perform for me in a way of uh, this is, we're moving away Drag Race really wasn't a talent show to begin with, and now we are moving very far away from what it actually is marketed as. So, but I will say, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, please go. I will say I loved the format of this episode and the idea that you know they really spent a lot of time, or they spent like a standard amount of time, but it felt good on their their entrances and being in the workroom. And then they basically said, do the whole thing again, but for us, uh, you know, it was a very simple challenge. Just like, give us a walk and show us who you are. Uh, I thought that was really fun. It was a little bit reminiscent of the season seven uh catwalk challenge with two looks at the beginning at the you know the first episode of the season which i thought was one of you know for a season that didn't turn out great that was one of the better starts for sure i it actually reminded me of season 10 where they, they walked it in and yeah then yeah they, and they, then they, they did danced. an actual catwalk oh, in front of the yeah. returning queens yeah the only thing is the returning queens kind of that that aspect of things bugged me a little bit and they all had that fucking sourpuss look on their face all very I'm contractually look. obligated to be here, and I have shown up, uh, but I did not tuck. Jane literally got slapped by Aquaria. Yeah. Very, very funny. <laughs> She's just happy for the airtime. And then she um, won. Yeah. Aquaria, uh, I don't know. Aquaria won me over slow. Uh, she won me over like a, a slow song. I'm just going to play her down till the tracks. Uh, please watch the video for her uh slow song dragonette because... is one of the top five acts in the world for me yeah Some and the... uh that's a great Hi, song. and it's a great video and aquaria just dances the whole time it's just following aquaria it's great um, um so i really liked that that moment like just we just want to get to know you and then not sending anybody home because we want to get to know you more it very much sent the message of we really actually want to have a genuine moment and episode uh in a way that like no matter how downhill this whole thing might go that was a really intentional this was a really intentional episode for saying like we want to cool it for a second and let you guys just have a moment to breathe and exist ironic that like you know we're talking about how this whole show like the whole concept of the show feels weird right now and also there's an 11th queen missing so there's like a little bit of weird mystery and tension to all this 
because uh, it is such a non-standard idea to do it this way at this point. It's just forget me not on Krakoa at this point. It is yeah. I mean, madness. To be fair, it is kind of those moments of <laughs> oh, they're doing this close-up shot. Now that you now that you think about it, there's a lot of yep. close-up shots, which they yep, have not to a do. lot of not a lot of group uh, shots. They also got very lucky, and that one of the top queens of Caramel. Uh, had a very large outfit that was blocking where that queen was standing backstage. Yep. So we did yep. not see it if you're not paying yep. attention to look for it. And, you know, I, w- I want to just kind of interact with the idea that art is that tangible, right? When we talk about somebody taking a film and editing a film and cutting someone offensive out of a film or cutting something offensive out of a film. Yeah, that's a film. Somebody scripted that. And, you know, somebody did kind of script this too. But one of the things about deleting a queen is if you were to tell me that I've been playing blackjack with a dealer with 52 cards and all of a sudden I'm playing with 51. It really changes the, the expectation. I am certainly not saying that this is unfair and they should have done a restart, but there is a quality to, we will never know the threat this queen posed. Some of the most talented people I have ever known have done things that they wished they'd never done. And then there are incredibly talented people I know that are garbage. So like, you know, you can have talent and run this gamut of made a mistake to willfully are bad. And that's not the same thing as who you represent to a dynamic of a show. So when you have these incredible queens planning who they're going to be, because like when I see somebody, I might have to see, like I did competitive karaoke a couple of weekends ago, uh, real drunk. And um, somebody sang really well, so I realized I had to do a better song. And so, like, uh, you know, these things happen. You plan your competition. And I would love to know how that affected some of these queens. What look did they break out when they saw the queen who didn't ultimately show's look? Who said, I need to go for this attitude because that bitch has mine. It really is fascinating how deleting her does not delete her effect on the season. It only deletes our understanding of that effect. It's a director's cut. Yeah. But there's nothing we can do about it. Man, uh, I want those tapes. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I like... want the Sherry Pie original cut so bad. Okay. Can, can... I, I really, we, there is, it is so gross to even say or even think about there is a universe where Sherry Pie didn't do those things to those people and we would have all loved her yeah because, uh, what a loss what a waste what a Nikki sad Dahl tragic about it. Waste. sherry pie was really good at drag race sherry yeah. pie was really good at drag race and, and rupaul yeah. loved her yes, and she, she wasn't you know. my thing but i could see where people who appreciated her style of i never got to see harvey firestein on broadway so i guess this will do kind of drag is good enough I wonder yeah. how much that feeling is also the severity of the edit on her. And yeah. like, if you would feel that way. So, you know, there were, you know, we're talking about all the same stuff. It is no matter what they do, you know, it, can... it can't be escaped. And we, the audience are left kind of just sucking it up. I mean, it sounds like in this case, the, the person they won't be showing was eliminated relatively early in the season. Uh, uh, to, Talk about it. I, I apologize for spoilers in this aspect for those, but yeah. it's no also, winners. It's it's just you know timeline. Um, they will be they will be off screen, disqualified, and eliminated. Either episode two or three, they will be asked to leave. Uh, they will be given. They were, I believe the word the verbiage was they were given the choice to leave, um, and they they took that choice to leave, and they are we will we will never see them. 
yeah. legitimately, we will never see them. Yeah. Um, and so but, from you know from there, it'll go on and be authentically just who was yeah. there and what happened, and that's fine. Uh, Drag Race has always had a penchant for cutting how it wants, for interpreting every event how they choose to, um, <laughs> and that's just what drag race is going to do. Sometimes that means somebody gets the villain edit. Sometimes that means somebody gets entirely edited out. No matter what we do, we do not have all the information to be objective about the show. We just kind of do have to watch a little bit passively and accept what the creative team has decided we're going to see and make our best interpretation from there. So, you know, with that said, none of these people really jumped out to me in this first episode. And mm. I'm just mm. kind of interested. The most exciting thing about the episode, honestly, was the international crew that showed well, up. Go. I mean, they filmed this around the time of contractually obligated DragCon. Right. So uh, this was filmed in January. And DragCon UK is in January. Yeah. And when you're contractually obligated to show up, pay for your own booth. You're not paid to be there. Uh, and you're also under contract to show up in any appearances they want you to. Yeah, but it was that was a group that uh, a very fun most, group. Yeah, most of them. Uh, the airtime is good. Uh, yeah, Pangina was done so dirty by UK versus the world to have a moment. <laughs> to, don't don't do it. Stop it. Stop uh, it. Uh, uh, mute him. <laughs> You know, that was such an evil moment for production. And I really think, I don't know if this was an acknowledgement of that and a buyback, but I do think seeing her as the, you know, very respectable judge of an entire franchise. Goddess that, queen that she Yeah, is. you know, and like truly uh, an engine for drag in a place where it's not the easiest and safest to be a drag queen. Uh, that to me is really huge uh so getting to see her like that is really big i think it will be good for her profile uh jimbo you know is probably doing the show a favor by being there at this point honestly um and you know sminty drop who i think is so gorgeous went at a bad time because she just wasn't playing the game well but had one of the best outros of all time oh it was so funny and the fact that someone repeated it yeah <laughs> um you know she just nailed that outro so well in a way that like uh it was seeing somebody really smart do a funny thing where miss vangie is like that idiot is so sweet we're just gonna love her um <laughs> that was not a moment of somebody that is great at branding that is a moment of somebody that didn't realize they were becoming a meme uh, and embracing the idea Exactly. TK, who's, TK, who's the queen you say you would have put you in drag? Uh, Miss Fame. Miss Fame and Sminty, in my opinion, had similar edits where it seemed like no matter what their talent was, yeah. the decision was they're not pleasant. And so production yeah. hates them. And yes. I probably think Miss Fame is a lot more pleasant than Sminty from yeah, what I've seen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I Can I tell you my, my quickly my favorite Miss Fame story. Oh please! It's not it's not on the show. It's uh I believe for one of the tours, one of the the legs for the Trixie and Katya show. It might have been when they were in Europe. Uh, Miss Fame was uh doing Katya's makeup, 
and she saw the wig Katya was wearing, and she went, ooh, crispy. And then just as she's walking past it, ooh, crispy. And it's just... <laughs> uh miss fame is amazing she did it might it might have been i think it was katya's old podcast that she did with craig back in the day um yeah and uh, whimsically volatile later thank you whimsically volatile. yeah uh and they had miss fame on and it was just a really great interview from somebody who uh didn't do great on drag race but is so sure of their place and their role as a drag queen and is so kind of there's a group of people like Alyssa edwards is another one that just is always working uh in a way that like if drag race ended tomorrow and there was nothing drag race related ever again she'd be fine miss fame would be absolutely fine Alyssa would be fine there are these uh, they would all be fine but they're these queens that you think of immediately as like their brand would just take over from there entirely and you know sminty's young not the same yet but very clearly somebody who like is already gunning for that same type of career and i, I root for her you know speaking of people who could be safe one of the things that i want to point out that the uk season offers a little bit more of i love every uh you know jador delano that walks onto the stage and decides to, you know, swing their way through a 90s R&B jam. Uh, and fine enough. But, you know, the UK, a lot of these queens have actual really focused talent. And I want to say that might be because the nature of the smaller uh, environment, it's a lot more competitive. So not that, oh, the cream rises. But, you know, to some extent, the better queens kind of rise up. If this show if the whole franchise were taken down tomorrow somehow monet exchange would have a phenomenal career as a teacher she would be a professor she would complete a doctoral get an honorary doctoral and she would be a music professor or a theater professor nobody would question somebody with her years of experience and performance from having that kind of career but a lot of these queens that are eliminated second they don't have that choice and they don't have that chance. It's unfortunate that I started watching Canada one after UK versus the world, because I saw a, uh, you know, a lip sync for your life where I knew lemon couldn't go home because I knew lemon couldn't be eliminated the first week and then be on UK versus the world. Yeah. And I, I instantly loved her on UK versus the world. I definitely love her now where I am in Canada, but I don't know that I would have loved her from the first episode. I don't know that I would have loved Monet Exchange from the first episode the same way. It took me three seasons to fall in love with Mo Hart. So it can take somebody several episodes to fall in love with somebody. And, yeah. uh, and now Mo Hart is the fucking queen of my world. So I wouldn't say a bad word about her ever in my entire life. I've changed the past. So, you know, it really is a matter of like what you said. All of these girls would be okay. I don't know. But what the UK did this week by saying five tops by saying, you know, no one goes home. There is an investment in the security of these women having careers in an uncertain world that, yeah, it's good for the show having more women on for longer. It costs a little more, but it yields more success. The other thing it does is it actually shows that Rue does care about these women's futures. And that is something that I am refreshed to see. Uh, for me, there were... Uh... 
I slightly disagree that I think there are a couple people who've already started to stand out a little bit. Uh, we've mentioned her before, Caramel, uh, this beautiful trans woman who who does this black excellence that's so much fun. She's from Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta. No one, no, but no one calls it that. Um, she's she's pretty great. Uh, I personally think Kate Bush is very funny. Her entire her entire monologue of her going down the run of her skating down the runway and saying Rue loves it, Alan's okay by it, and what about Michelle? Oh, Michelle hates it. It was just so out of pocket funny. Yes, and I love her looks. Yes, I just wish she wasn't so. I wish she didn't behave so dowdy. She does. She does. Sour. She, yeah, she has a, a sadness about her that bums me out. Well, mm. She's British, so that's what it is. Um, I uh, delicious. Uh, following the vein of her sister of an unblended booby plate. Uh, I will say, she. I say this with love as somebody who has a big head because she has a bigger head and actually proportions her a little bit better than it did with Crystal. Crystal kind of just head was a little bit too small for the size of breastplate she liked. Um, but I also love that she's 20 and calls herself a MILF. Okay. Was, she's dressed like Icarus from the Eternals. Yeah. She, she loves this Icarus pattern. Um, and I also, um, I really liked Michael and I really liked uh, Vicky. I thought these two older queens kind of just talking about that experience of like, yeah. I even though I thought the conversation was obviously forced in a weird way that didn't feel that natural, what they were talking about, I at least appreciated their perspective of a generation ahead of me talking about like how hard it is to find work and stick with with it, and even kind of saying to yourself, you know, it hasn't happened yet. You see these younger queens who get this massive success much more quickly because they're doing something that you're doing and you're like, what am I doing wrong? And it is one of those like, Oh, I, you can kind of, you really can relate to that of it because it hasn't happened yet. Am I doing the right thing I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be here? Um, so I really appreciate that. Appreciated that conversation between them. Um, I love this. I love the through line that Banksy has of her looks with the rats, but we're not talking about it at all anywhere, I which is kind of funny. So much. It's hard to put into words. Um, but she uh, she seems very kooky. She seems like the kooky queen. Um, she's pizza rat in a dress. Ben. That's a great drag identity. It actually is. And if you sing Ben one more goddamn time on air, I swear to God, Kevo. Pizza. Thanks. Um, it's... <laughs> Deliver the vibe she's giving me is very much Max. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> like from Happy Endings? No, no. no season seven. <laughs> from season seven. Oh. Um, and yes, I don't I dislike it, but I uh, I don't know. It's... it's a messy look that's really hard to execute with deftness. Yeah, and, and like it sh- sh- I'm I'm prepared to be surprised. Like it didn't nothing again, nothing jumped out at me first season or first episode other than like I thought it was a very bold look. Yeah. Um but I just like I there I wasn't charmed by the person and I'm just waiting for that moment where I my, my jaw is on the floor and she's one who I actually I'm like I could see it. I 
I'm yeah. not gonna name names, but there are other there's like four or five other queens where I'm just like, I'm not expecting you to wow me at any particular point. Uh Caramel's the real standout here. Like Caramel oh Caramel is uh, I feel it, bad it, because it, it's winner. like it's all downhill from here. Like you the it's gonna be really tough to raise the bar every uh, season. Um You lost uh, your mind, Nico, when I, she walked in. Yeah, you I literally like, said I, she should uh, win, shut down the show. That is the best it's over. That was another uh, Angela moment to me, um, you know, uh, similar to Pandora Knox, like just really bow down to your goddess. Yeah, like and yes, and, 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 and and the look worked for it. So you know, it's Very it's her time show time. right off the bat. Um, but I also like knowing immediately that she's the smart one that's going for the American drama, which is the thing that I don't love about the show, but I don't begrudge any what. Well, well, she's, hold on. She's auditioned seven times. Six. six. This yeah. was her seventh? No, no, this oh, was this her six. For Perfect. two different versions of the show. Yeah. She's auditioned a lot and been turned down over and over and over. It's yeah. like Rue said, don't put her in till that piece of coal is a diamond. You know, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a couple of other queens who have also auditioned a lot of times. Uh, Miss Kosh Davis, I think, auditioned. All for all six seasons until she got yep. cast on season seven. She did Alaska. say that a lot. Uh, Alaska <laughs> did all four every year. Um, I don't know if she did it every year, but Katya did audition uh, for season three because they do show her. Um, yeah, audition tape. They show a lot of queens who did not get on, even if you don't yeah. see them ever. Um, who else? Uh, Nina West auditioned a lot. Man, so, Nina you know, West, what a queen that grew on me. It does happen, and I, it's, that's always, there's two ways that story can go. Like, finally I'm here, or like, you know, it's kind of uh, the Michael and Vicky thing, where it's like, having slaved through the mines to get here. Please, uh, sir. I, with my last ounce of life, I shall drag at you (laughs) in hopes that you give me a new set of regenerations. Yeah, it's, I'm dead now. Uh, So, you know, that's. I just caramel really, really stood out to me, and um, it was odd that just nobody else really did. I'm really rooting for them all to have a great season. I just kind of shrug, big shrug to Tamara. Oh my god, I love Naomi Carter. Yeah. Do you want me to go slow through them? No, just have Dumb-ish. a uh, okay. So, so mix it up. That Tamara kind of gives uh, Trinity. Uh, from season nine, Trinity, Trinity Taylor. Yes, uh, and this and one's Trinity. smaller for some reason. Well, because she's smaller. there's no she's big, so tiny. There's no big version. She's just um, petite. Which I, can I say it this way? I I I am of the camp uh, for the girls. So for the girls like Alexis, who rely on body because she clearly likes to have the corset, very cinched body yeah. um, yeah. kind of look. I ain't gonna come for her because I could never. I could yeah, never, but I she could sacrifices never. fashion to have a specific shape. I yep. It literally organs be like damned. It. Organs be damned. There's just a certain thing I think when I see a super cinched queen, and it's I just think she's more fashion than movement. And like, well, I mean, we look at Violet Chachki, who had the smallest waist in Drag Race history. Yeah, that Violet Chachki decided that she was going to Scarlett O'Hara her waist to fictional levels of itty bitty. Like, quite literally, my big toe is thicker than Violet Tchotchke, which definitely an attractive thing about Violet Tchotchke to me. But I do want to say that is one more thing to add to the list as we wrap up our Drag Race conversation for a moment. Violet Tchotchke recently signed with an acting agency. Uh, she is building a career, and 
as one of Rue girl, as one of the Rue girls who has taken the most distance from the Rue machine, mm. I just think it's really interesting that there's ways to be successful within the machine, outside of the machine, or whatever you want. And I'm really excited to see what this cast of UK girls does, especially because so many of them have experience. They're not old. They have experience. They're still beautiful. They're still sexy. They're still cool. You know, they're old, but they have experience. And I want to see what a season of experience does when Mama Rue herself is pushing septuagenarian. Agreed. All right. I think that shuts down the, the drag race talk. We're going to move to scripted shows. But uh, that means we got to say goodbye to this kid over here. So, Jonah, it has been our pleasure to have you for the last hour and 43 minutes and 37 seconds. But wow. that means it's been a really long time since anybody's heard where they can find you. So, Joj, uh, number one, favorite queen from the UK season, and where can everybody find you? Uh, personally, as of right now, I'm on Team Caramel. Same. Uh, which is very funny that I'm rooting for the American in the UK season. Uh, very similar to when I first when I was first watching season six, and I was rooting for Courtney Ack, the Australian in the US season. <laughs> so I'm all about, if you're not from this country, I'm rooting for you. Um, That's yeah, fair. Right now, I think Caramel, already from episode one, Caramel's a star, regardless of what happens throughout the season. I think she's one, the one to watch, the one that's going to be booked and blessed the most. Um, so massive respect. Looking forward to seeing more from her. And if you want to follow me for more of my opinions on things, you can follow me at any social at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. All right, kid. Well, until we have you back, we'll see you real soon, okay? Thanks for having me. Bye, Jojo. All right. Mm. So uh, I'm going to send this kid on his way. All right. So we got some scripted stuff to talk about. And we're not going to get too, too, too hardcore into some of it because some of it is going to end next week. Yeah. But this does give us a I am so disappointed that some of these shows are ending so fast. Not because like they didn't deliver really great seasons. Oh, check that out. That's a beautiful symmetry. Right? Right there. my middle man. You know, when I think about uh, this season set of uh, live action programming, one of the things that really came to my mind is, you know, this could be the last live action programming for some of these things for a while. But because of the fact that animation has to be done so far in advance, oftentimes animated shows get picked up for additional seasons that don't get announced right away. They're done. They're in the can. They're good to go. But it doesn't behoove you to announce it that far in advance. I often wonder how many shows have final animated seasons that never got released. So they probably just get added to, you know, the last season that does air. But whatever. Uh, You know, Lower Decks has been a charming surprise in the Star Trek universe in general. But more than that, one of the things that Lower Decks has guaranteed us is an opportunity to see things that don't necessarily connect to the live action universe. By having this be an animated show, it's not beholden to the same schedule. So we have been very much aware that even though Strange New Worlds was picked up for an exciting third season, who knows when? We know that Discovery is done with its season five, but they might have delayed it. You know, it's coming out in January. I'm really relieved it wasn't delayed. But Lower Decks has been a fascinating study in what Star Trek has chosen to get away with. For a franchise that really saves its get away with it chips. They're cashing them all in on Lower Decks. 
And mm. that amount of fearless belief in a program just doesn't fit this modern age. It makes lower decks seem next generation or Voyager or Deep Space Nine brave in a generation of shows that all feel about as brave as Enterprise. So I'm really excited about this season. The first miss for me the whole season was this week. And it wasn't even a miss. It was a C plus. Okay. Um, I agree with everything you're saying. I I think it's also kind of a release valve for years of uh, humorlessness would not quite be the right word, but a level and type of humor that is not universal and does not really uh, account for the breadth and absurdity of experience that Star Trek as a world and as a universe uh, makes possible by its existence and by the stories that it tells, you know. I, the uh, I always forget the name of the episode, but the Janeway in Paris going super warp and evolving into uh, yeah, it's, it's better yeah, to yeah. say it that way, right? Um, that is absurd and stupid and really funny, and that was not meant to be funny, and we can never that can never not be funny now. So that nor is, is it never not had happened, right? Uh, that's always, there's so many things like that where it's just like, if we are not going to acknowledge it, which we shouldn't, cause it's stupid as a real thing. And like, as a, as a thing that totally happened and has consequences, it then we better laugh at an amalgam or an analog to it. Um, yeah. like we better find ways to look at all the stuff that Star Trek has said is happening and laugh at it for real not like mm, mr kim i'm making a little joke at you there they are they're horrible why do they have little lizard mustaches i hate them but i also love them and i think that they should show up in discovery uh setting that aside um lower decks while really brave and really out there is maybe uh the secret release valve that is allowing star trek not to implode yeah another amazing really funny moment because you know the original is absurd and i think is meant to be cheeky and fun but nobody who wrote that and produced it knew how we would laugh at it in a loving way uh this knows why that is funny and what to do to make it funnier and the uh, way they utilize the fact that the animation has so many built-in benefits when yep. you're trying to do an homage Shaq's yep. face is clear in the mirror whereas yep. ransom's face is facing outward to the audience it's a really brilliant and way to stage it look in the background as well you can see several racks of anbo jitsu equipment yep. that i'm sure wasn't there in the original scene but like you said animation they can work these things in. They have the ability. I see so many people in the background wearing these things like this uh, because it's animated. So they can just write it into the script and just draw it right in. And uh, there's so many things that they're able to reference just by having that semi-unlimited kind of like budget in that regard. 
And that's, you know, that's another part of it. Star Trek is a universe that says anything is possible and delivers on that in incredible ways and then can't deliver on it in others because it is, in fact, a television show with a budget. Uh, and animation does exactly what you're saying. It allows you to up the narrative budget and expand the narrative economy to allow for so many things that Star Trek has always said are there but couldn't really pay up on. And behaved like, as though were necessary elements to the freedom of future. Yeah. Like something that's insane is this is the first time we are seeing the planet Orion in right. the history of the Star Trek franchise. Wow, like, man. On lower decks. Yep. That is so cool. It was so awesome to see. And, you know, now we have a template to work off of. And the I lions think... are the drag queeniest uh, species outside of Beta. Oh my god, they really They're are. They're very gay. It's very funny. Um, I think this also, this was a great example of like, could you have found like a villa in Italy to film this? Sure, absolutely. But I think animated this feels more like what they have been trying to say. Yes. And I love that like development of the Orions in particular over these last 10 years with the streaming era of Discovery has been, they've been probably the biggest beneficiary. We have been asked to think about, meet and know the Orions in so many ways that they are this like yeah. analog to the Ferengi yeah. in terms of wealth, but they use their wealth really differently. And, and they're that, so that, hot. They're gorgeous, think... and that that would meld with mafioso enterprises. That that oh. would, in the future, become a galaxy-spanning enterprise that is both keeping people alive and keeping people oppressed. It is such a brilliant trajectory. This is really a capstone on that by showing them they're showing us their planet yeah. and having what you talked about a sort of unlimited budget to depict the kind of wealth that we have seen exist over a thousand years. But I don't think we would believably see anywhere in live action and go, that feels like what they've been telling me. I think uh, the second one after that, that I would say we have really seen uh, be bumped up in terms of significance in this era is Andorians. Yeah. Because that yes. was always a really hard one to do, and it still yep. is. Yep. So we haven't really seen too, too many in live action, but there have been more in the background. Uh, than there ever were, and uh, yeah, really, Orions have been giving have been given uh, so much focus. Uh, there's a really hot Orion character who was introduced at the beginning of season four of Discovery, who is a potential uh, character for us to see in the upcoming Starfleet series. So hopefully, Wait, the, uh, the kid when the... when they're on that uh, ice planet. Yeah. Okay. The the speech. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, uh, Starfleet, Os they're all adults. Osira was such a like hot character and great villain. Oh and my she god, was really, yeah, she was really she, that thing that I'm talking about. Where she like, she's her next you, level cunt, like 100%. She reminded me of Constance Zimmer, and also who's Bobby Bernstein from, yeah, Aaron Sorkin, whatever her oh, name is. You, you just guys broke know. my brain, but yes, I know you guys will figure it out. Um, she was really the thing that said, hey, we've been telling you that the Orions are this planet of really wealthy semi-criminals. What happens a thousand years later when we are all desperate for survival? Lisa Edelstein. 
Lisa Edelstein. Lisa Edelstein. Yes, yes it the is. The last of the really cool Lisa club e. kids. Lisa E. Yes. Um, <sighs> you always say that. You do. She was literally the last cool club kid in the history of the world. She defined the medium. It's it's actually vivacious from season six of RuPaul's Drag Race, but you know, close. It is. I'm kidding. Um, but uh, you know, the idea that a thousand years later, this seemingly like Starfleet kind of turns a blind eye to their mafioso ways that that would become this like galaxy spanning syndicate that is has more control and power than the federation that is absolutely somebody the federation is going to have to contend with it was just so brilliant i i kind of am repeating myself here but like i'm just this was a really fantastic episode uh and this is not even the one we're talking about i actually i'm a b plus on this most recent episode if for no other reason than we don't get a lot of beta z screen time ever mm. that isn't uh a troy yeah and okay. that the beta z screen time that we got gave us so much subtle information and gave us three actors and who, all three of whom i worship janelle james yes. rachel dratch and um wendy malik the greatest thing that ever happened to fraser thank you uh Three women in vastly different stages of cougardom, but you know, all working it. Uh, it that that is very true. Great, point. yeah, yeah. And that the last thing we heard about Beta Z really in uh, like our TNG Voyager Deep Space Nine continuity was them getting uh, occupied by the Cardassians, uh, so that we know that they raise capable, uh, warriors and secret agents kind of speaks to the fact that like you know it's very subtle background information but we know that things are happening on beta z they were not destroyed by that and we don't have to do exposition it's just subtle things that teach us this can i just say that the cardassians plan more occupation than a job placement service it drives me insane it was a little one note for sure was but really you know, I, overwhelming. I really respect a show like Discovery for working with it and finding a way to uh, account for the fact that it exists in the universe. While again, not doing expository. Well, once we got over the occupation, we created a whole thing of female warriors. I literally shouted racistly the first time I saw a Cardassian member of Starfleet. I oh, he was so moment. upset when that happened I... on Discovery. He was like, no! <laughs> I think we all had that moment. I was like, they will yeah. never be done paying for their war crimes. Bajorans will never be done suffering for their faith, and you will never be done having done it. And, like, I had to really separate that, like, when I came into Star Trek, and, you know, particularly Deep Space Nine, my most formative Star Trek, yeah. I had very simple views of black and white. You know, the man I am now, I couldn't exist without my network of partners. I love each one of my partners just as much. And the idea that the boy I was that watched Deep Space Nine couldn't imagine a poly man. You know, I just think about this intrinsic core of who I am being so different. I definitely judge Cardassians by the lens of an eight-year-old. And I'm glad that I don't have those feelings for, uh, you know, Andalorians or for orion's kevo i see you got the ever important you know what's really funny about that though i really respect everything that you're saying and have and you know we all have feelings about all different manner of things i'm sure that our forefathers have a lot of feelings about klingons that we don't because we didn't 
grow up in the same era of Klingon. Yeah, so cool. Um, but something that's really funny, especially, especially from lower decks that I'm really enjoying, is their consistently ludicrous characterization of Romulan. Romulan. Yes. Oh my As god! These... My characterization of Romulan and ringing. I was going to torture him and betray him, and I'm going to do it faster. I hate Let's go cleaning up in Sector Thirty Seven. I hate cleaning up after torturing Remans. They're so messy. Oh my god, it's so over the top and stupid and hilarious, and I love it because Romulans are dumb. Yeah, and uh, but and this is what Star Trek has given us. Yes, yes. The, this is the writing, the writing was not always good, and so the thing we're not going to do all the time because what most Star Trek live action does now is go, no, 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 we're serious. We got better writers. Uh, you know, it's not just these kind of company men guys that got on board. We got people that understand subtlety and nuance, and we're taking the Romulan seriously, and that's great, and that should be a lot of the dramatic Star Trek that we see, but. This characterization exists, and we can't deny it. So somebody has to be the release valve, and it's it's lower decks and it's characterizations like that. Again, it's another silly. great moment. Yeah, yeah but can it's, you remind yeah. me uh, Tembo's name over there? Uh, Kayshawn. Kayshawn, that is. One I of love Kayshawn. Truly, one of the most incredible uh, achievements of this show is making a, an entire species that wound up kind of a meme, right? Um. You know, it's that thing where, like, when somebody tries to do something that is really brave, like when somebody uh, tries to hit a note that's not quite a note in their register and they commit it to music, like Kesha in Praying, right? It's not the most beautiful note in the world. It's a note of it's a note of reality. It's a note of what's going on in her heart. You know, I think characters like Kayshawn are born of stories that are well-intentioned, but sometimes don't sound the way the artist thinks they do 20 years later. But Kayshawn has somehow become a character that challenges every notion of what a note that doesn't sound quite right 20 years later could sound like. This is an exciting opportunity to take what is maybe seen as a failure of storytelling and... Uh, of seriousness at least yeah and really uh, t- turning it into something that makes me smile every episode of lower decks and again i don't think it's like i think we all loved that episode and yes. then laughed at it a little bit and then said but what would happen after and yes. i just uh, the, the I point i'm repeatedly making i don't think you could ever do that on you know the, the, Kayshawn could not be on picard uh, i uh... I rewatched the Shaco and the Walls Fell episode with yeah. Jonah when I was getting him ready for the character of Kayshawn because I wanted him to know that episode and yeah. that meaning from the original story before meeting the character. And it's really fascinating the way that the show was differently written even in the 90s where yeah. like they were like, we've been trying to communicate with these people for 100 years years that's not something that they would try to make us buy like maybe half a century yeah but even that like like like, seven years yeah 20 would be pushing it yeah uh because the idea that we wouldn't catch on more quickly uh today would feel ridiculous but it just is the history now and is the lore and instead we're leaning into it and seeing how quickly 
these characters and these this race was able to assimilate into Starfleet now that we've got the ball rolling that he is a security officer and that's so cool. Yep. And you, just to comment that you know because you have this image up I can see Admiral Alonso Freeman and it just reminds me that there are two different Star Treks running right now with you know honestly I have to add it because I may unbelievably hot but uh incredible black men as admirals this is April a, yeah yeah April you know on strange new worlds this is a really interesting thing where Star Trek has long taken the opportunity to represent minorities in positions of power in positions of authority in positions of intelligence and not relegate them to tropism and you know minorism compared to you know white leads there's also it, admiral daddy on discovery so that's another one admiral daddy excellent point and one of the things that reminds me is that star trek has worked so hard to take care of like real world things and of course it's gotten them wrong a trillion times but it's gotten them right two trillion times and kind of coming to realize that there's like actual Star Trek internal racisms like Kayshawn is really interesting. And, you know, I think Miglimo is a little too silly most of the time, like actually takes me out of it. Actually, no, that's Star Trek's fault. Um, there should be. Yeah, and I feel like how silly Miglimo is, is a take on the original idea of Cajuns in Star Trek, the animated series and leaning into the silly things that you can do because it's animated. Uh, I I wanted to point to, there was something that I caught in looking at the screen caps. And again, it's set dressing and it's things like the tarot cards that were at one point and this being the emissary and it's Cisco. Cisco. This is not a card. Celestial Temple, and it's, and it's the, the wormhole. wormhole. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna have to look into what all of them are. But like, yeah, it's so many things like this that are built into the fabric of this world that they are able to draw on and build on and Amazing turn into things like Mark Twain being used for negotiations. <laughs> and you know, I like Nico was perhaps not as supremely taken with this week's episode but uh i'm really okay with that is the thing i don't i'm curious did you guys single... watch it again no, no. okay no, i feel yet. like part of it might have been the environment of where and when we were watching it oh so okay. this was watched while we were still spending our incredible week so whenever i get the opportunity to be with my partner tk it means the world to me and that tk and kevo have become such you know close friends it it makes family time when we get the opportunity to be together Really, it it makes our family so happy just to be together that, yeah, sometimes when we're watching stuff, we just talk over it to celebrate how much, you know, what we do here is our real life as well. Yep. Uh, And I do feel like we worked and talked over this episode a lot. A lot. Uh, But I really, on paper, if you take an inventory of what happened and what is in this episode, uh, you have to admit it's stuff you love. Oh, I mean. Oh, and no one's ever saying every episode of lower decks it's that that's the thing and it's this thing that i feel about a lot of stuff it's how i feel about the chris chibnall era of doctor who every yeah. episode of doctor who is usually still better than most other tv programs that i can right. put on and i would rather watch almost any episode of doctor who 
than like a lot so of. So it's other a lower stuff. deck C, not a TV C. Oh yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, it. no, no. Exactly. I love Avatar: The Last Airbender C. It's literally still better than anything else. So yeah. all right, well, it's really, frankly, yeah, frankly, it's frankly important to bring up the distinction because still, how much we are loving this show. Uh, halfway through this season so far, still so impressed. Uh, I'm really mostly taken aback that we have so few answers on what we were told was yep. going to be more of an arc. I was Jonah's gotten through the first two episodes so far, and I turned to him and I said, "No answers yet." And he was like, "Are you serious? There's been five episodes. Maybe we'll have more in the back half." And I really, we said that at the same time, even, and I respect it if that is the case. But uh, I don't know. I'm surprised. I mean, given the fact that it has not been a huge part of what they do on Lower Decks, getting, building up to arcs, because this might not work. And we know yeah. that uh, Star Trek species or problem of the week works very well for Lower Decks. Again, I'm just going to point to the fact that Lower Decks apes previous Star Trek, which can no longer do what it did. Old, you know, Star Trek live action cannot be species or problem of the week anymore. It can have elements of that, but it will always now have overarching seasonal plot because that's yeah. what we expect. Yes, uh, absolutely. Lower decks not only can but should for a number of reasons, but they are also proving they proved early on that they can go beyond that. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do it in a way that doesn't break the bank on all the stuff that they have inventoried and saved from the Star Trek world and made possible to use better. Uh, so I think this is a really great, subtle first attempt. Uh, yeah. I will be really interested to see if it's minor reference, minor reference, minor reference, minor reference, two, two whole episodes, episodes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or if we, you know, as you said in the back half, it, the whole thing just picks up, and we do like ten minutes in the next episode, then you know a whole one the next episode, then we dial it back, and then have a finale that brings it up. We'll see. Uh, I, I'm just I'm fascinated to to watch them work their craft on this yeah now we have a couple of shows that are unfortunately going to get a little bit less um because we're saving it for next week when they both end but yeah you know, speaking of characters like you know miglimo and the orions it's a really great time for characters who have always been not necessarily a conventional color in animation uh, but being able to be transported to that color between makeup and CGI effects, like the entire world of Ahsoka, everybody in that show is green, like they're doing a Kermit the Frog tribute show. It's crazy. But this was the first week that I felt Ahsoka might actually be the main star of her own show, maybe in the whole series. And that said, this is my second favorite uh, Star uh, Star Wars uh, TV show on Disney Plus. Number one is probably definitely Obi Wan. I just have such a relationship with Ewan uh, as Obi Wan. I really enjoy Ahsoka. And number three is, of course, a very strong vote for the Mandalorian. I would love the Mandalorian a whole lot more if I watched it at one point two. 
Um, but sometimes watching Mandalorian at 48 minutes an episode, I get a little sleepy. I have not <sighs> once experienced sleepiness during Ahsoka. I don't know if it's because they have been very clear to make sure that every minute of Ahsoka is taught. Sometimes I actually find Ahsoka stressful. Uh, I have meetings a lot Wednesday mornings. Uh, I either have a, a lecture that I give or a meeting Wednesday mornings. And uh, there are times that I'm like, Kevo, can we please watch Ahsoka after I give my lecture or I have my meeting because it is actually stressful. Uh, but this week was probably my second favorite episode in the show so far. I just think what they're attempting to do by crafting a narrative that doesn't always show Ahsoka, but is always about her, is a really daring thing. And I'm going to make a really weird joke, and no one's going to get it that wasn't alive in 1979, but it's a real Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman season two kind of move. You know what I mean? You're so weird. Uh, um, I do love the idea that Ahsoka is a brand and a corner of the Star Wars universe. Yes, what a not, great way to say it. Not just uh, a bad bitch which is absolutely there. But like, we talked about this before, like there, it, this is Rosario Dawson being like, I have this much time and this much pay. You can figure the rest out. And, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm poking a bit. There could be a billion different reasons why it is done this way. This could have always been the intention, regardless of who they got, even though they got this massive celebrity. What I will say is no matter what, she shows oh, up. Rosario Dawson. <laughs> She shows up for the time that she's there. She shows up so hard. She is present. Um, yep. She, she, the fight choreography she's there for, the incredible emotions of this grown woman who was this girl that we all grew up with. Yes. That we all knew we were careening towards sadness with because we all knew what was going to happen to her mentor. And that you know ahsoka then went into rebels grew a sort of um big sister family for herself uh while dealing with this maddening disappointment that we then shoot all the way to this future where she has grown up and she's a woman and she still is kind of den mother to this group of uh feral children but also has nobody to look after or take care of her never got closure on a horrible situation and is just dealing with so much heartbreak and trauma. Uh, I think it's something that we all reflect on again, being kind of like the same age as Ahsoka at many stages in our own lives. And, yeah. and now Rosario, we're this old and now we're this old. Exactly. And Rosario Dawson has shown up to tell that story uh and you know every accessory character or tertiary secondary or tertiary character or you know like half main character like sabine has really shown up to do the same thing in their own way uh and has been prepared to do some of the lifting of a non-traditional uh format in which you know the mandalorian is basically in every second of the mandalorian uh you know it is a show about that dude yes uh and it's not they at this point it could be the mandalorians and pull back from him but that would be a change it has always been about din Djarin. 
this is kind of the opposite and it's funny because mandalorians are a people and ahsoka is just one person but this is about her orbit as much as it is about her and you know just hu yang does amazing does an amazing job uh now the ezra is a fantastic character that has really helped to bring some weight to these last two episodes uh it's all just firing on all cylinders and i think I'm glad that they didn't overindulge and do uh, too many episodes or make them too long. I am really sad that this is ending at eight and I'm just like, I'm immediately ready to hear that the next season is picked up and that it's coming very soon. And you know, one of the things that's really hard about that is in a world of such uncertainty with so many of these shows, yes. it feels like it's so hard to really trust that some of these narratives are going to be yes. seen through without being yeah. transformed or shoved into the background of another project. Yeah. They keep just talking about some of these projects like they can move like it's no big deal. Oh, that story is going to get finished in this movie with three yeah. other stories. Oh, that story is going to get its own show. It was getting a trilogy, but now it's getting six episodes. That's not how storytelling works. And when that's for the better of the story, sure. But Ahsoka has always been an episodic character who has moved show to show. The idea that you would maybe overcomplicate Ahsoka by cutting it here and forcing us to follow her somewhere else instead of giving her a second season would be a little too distressing for us. And I follow more of uh, a school of what I uh, I've read. Russell T. Davis had discussed when asked. He he said he was asked how he would have done "It's a Sin" differently if it had been given two extra episodes, and he was like, "I wouldn't. It would have been ten episodes instead, and I would have told the same story across ten episodes instead of across eight. I wouldn't have shoved more story in." I wouldn't pull story out if I was if there was six. I would just find a different way to tell it. And, you know, bits get naturally cut the way anything's going to get cut in editing potentially anyway. Uh, and so that's sort of how I try to view situations where things get shifted around and uh, cut from, like, wh uh, what's the, what was the War Machine one we were supposed to get? Um, oh, Armor Wars for the MCU. We were supposed to get Armor's War, Armor Wars as a series, and now it's a movie. I kind of hope that it's instead of uh, you know something to worry about. Maybe it's more like they learned from Secret Invasion should have been a movie, and it's just going to be a really long movie, and that'll be uh, a lot better than trying to make it something longer. And they just figured that out later. You know, the thing about uh, television and movies as an art form is, unfortunately, it takes so many people to make and it takes so long to figure out sometimes. It's a bit like trying to build Ikea furniture, but you don't just want to build the kit. You want to build it to your specifications. So you have to change things and figure it out over time. And uh, part of the trouble with the era that we live in is so many more people are aware of the process. Uh, so many more people are aware of how things are changing from start to finish. Uh, I think about the early documents from the original trilogy and the way things were different. And it was supposed to be 10 movies and the bad guy of the entire Return of the Jedi movie, like that opening 10 minutes was going to be a whole film at one point. And Boba Fett was going to be a much bigger antagonist. And so when I hear people be like, there was no plan when they made the sequels, you know. 
okay, well, Luke and Leia were supposed to bang, and now they're brother and sister. So if we are going by, you're an idiot if you change the plan as you are making it, then nothing about this machine works. And, you know, I think it is absolutely uh, ripe for criticism when we feel like things aren't working for us. Totally. But, like, uh, they're, they're... they're really this has always been a franchise of throwing stuff at the wall uh in a way that is so different from star trek i am coming to learn uh star trek is so much more loving and kind of its history even its stupid history at times i feel uh, and that's something that we really get from lower decks whereas star wars is more like well i broke shit and uh now i gotta work with these jagged pieces and make something ow uh, it's fine. It's just got blood on it, and it's fine. And that's Star Wars. And that's okay. I'm just really always anxious to see how things are going to conclude when it comes to stories like this, and with something so grand like this. Are we going to see any of these characters again in anything significant anytime soon? Or is it all just going to build toward that movie we're hearing about? We really don't know. So, uh... The fact that we don't know what's coming next. I don't want to like pressure them. Yeah. But it's part of what makes it hard to feel satisfied by a conclusion of this universe sometimes. I definitely get you. And time, it's really a time will tell thing. Uh, It feels like they've got such a grip on so many parts of Star Trek uh, that the the big thing that we're all wondering about now is conclusions and we're still a little bit in the middle of a whole phase of just trying to get stuff off the ground uh so the question is when when stuff is fully off the ground and has had some time in the air how do we then come down and land everything and i think for the most part it's going to be a few years before we get there and we're going to see successes and failures uh and that's just what it is uh you know, well, I don't want any of them to be failures. So, but just to kind of comment on your guys' point of, you know, some of these universes have better breakpoints than others. Yeah. Star Trek has been around so long that we can go back to earlier times. Star Wars has been around so long we can go back to earlier times. What happens when the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been around for so long that we can go back to earlier times with a new cast? interesting it's a really unique thing that allows these universes the breadth of experience to continue aging with grace whereas we maybe don't give newer franchises the same grace period that we give something like star trek or star wars or even something like lost in space which you know has had three four iterations uh despite some of them being maybe a little bit more lackluster than others so it's always really interesting how we react to these fandoms and these mediums. And, you know, speaking of things that we've reacted to, had some judgments about only murders in the building. Not a whole lot. I want to say about it before the finale. I'm really excited. I think this whole episode while brilliant is going to prove to have been a couple of clues, but a whole lot of just fooling us to get to the finale. This is a great show. It it just, highlights the cast and their talent there is an article that chevy chase is talking about oh they might do a a three amigos uh you know um reunion on the show maybe 
I hope not because Selena Gomez is four times the man Chevy Chase ever was and looks 10 times better in a dress. Hell yes. Uh, you can just go ahead and you can put her in as Pierce in all of community for me. Uh, She'll be a golden god. She really will. I want to hear her baby boomer Santa. Yeah, I would love it. So um, a little bit more baby than boomer, but. Yeah, there's there's not a ton to say here on the eve, not the eve, but right before. Close to. Yeah, close to the eve of the finale. Um, eve, eve. Eve, eve of the finale. It's uh, this. It's just such a great show. It's just so much fun. I am so glad that you have so taken to it. Uh, it's, you know, it's often ridiculous. Uh, and often stretches the uh, limits of plausibility for Nobody sure. Nobody stops the bride. Woman gets immediately out of cab, gives cab to bride. No, no one in you know, everybody in New York would be like, bitch, get a limo. It's mm. not supposed to be super realistic, though. I think one of the things that we don't really talk about that this really evokes for us in a lot of ways, too, is Desperate Housewives, yeah. where it's just so beyond reality at certain points uh you know it's trying to underline the harsh emotions of reality but like the things they get away with are are, are ridiculous on purpose for so... sure oh, i have to change the title <laughs> well i don't think you have to change the title for too long because i think we can safely wrap up only murders till next week uh, you know, this has been such an exciting episode of uh, X's for Show. I only said only murders for Drag Race Masters. Um, but it has really been an exciting opportunity to think about sort of the way that some of these things are the same and some of them are kind of different. We've obviously compared Star Wars and Star Trek, as has media at large for the last 40 years. But something that you don't always think about is comparing something like exactly that image drag race and lego masters they are really both about building artifice that reflects the art inside of you that allows people who felt disenfranchised to create in a way that is tangible that said lego masters is hosted by a guy who likes to make jokes a whole lot more than he is interested in hosting and judging and oh wait so is rupaul's drag race so i think one of the things that this episode like kind of made me feel stronger about is my interests are pretty aligned, actually. I just like talent. No matter what it is, I like talent. And Survivor doesn't have talent. Survivor has skills and abilities and, uh, you know, finding ways to survive. But Lego, that's a thing you have talent in. Drag, that's an art form you have talent in. The thing I'm drawn to is strong talent regardless of any other trapping. And uh, an episode like this with incredible voices like Jonah, Jake, these two incredible geniuses I get to share the stage with and incredible voices in our audience like Tasty Cake, who always knows just what to say to make an episode, oh, that much more tastier. I just cannot enjoy what we do more. And uh, frankly, I was in a pretty bad mood two hours and 26 minutes ago. But uh, tonight, yeah, I know that. Yeah. But uh, being on air with these clowns always makes my whole world a little bit more Jimbo. So <clears throat> I want to ask, guys, what is it about these these shows that makes us so happy as our sign off? I'm, I'm going to kick it off. For me, it's that every one of our shows kind of has the theme of, no, 
you can't hold me down. There's plenty of shows that don't have that as the theme. There are plenty of shows that are just about slice of life and making it. But everything we talked about tonight is about becoming better. You know, competitions are that by nature. But that's the whole point of the Lower Decks crew. They want to rise up to be, you know, members of Starfleet that are treated maybe a little better, but also get to contribute in different ways. Ahsoka has spent her whole life proving herself. And, of course, Only Murders is three people who, despite every incredible advantage they have, have always felt less than. And that's what we love here. We love an underdog story. And it's just really nice to feel like that's what we're talking about. Kevo, what is... Oh, t- Tori in the chat. Oh, I have arrived in time to be appreciated. So uh, appreciated, yeah. always. Kevo, what is it that you love the most about what we covered tonight? And where is it everybody can find producer commander Kevin Arthur? Well, I think the thing that I most appreciate about our show in general is uh, the breadth of things that we always have to cover. Uh, I really love what the show has become, and I love the different uh, topics. And I love that there is always something new. I am very excited this week for us to return to the TVA, and we will soon be covering... The premiere of Loki season two. So, uh, you know, even when we have Ahsoka uh, finishing this week, even when we have only murders finishing at at completely different times of day, which is very annoying. Uh, It's going to be really annoying that we will have to watch Loki Friday mornings, I'm sure. Uh, Tori is super stoked. Give me that time agent chaos Lord. Maybe we will be able to get Tori on for some of our Loki coverage. Uh, That would be great. I'm sure she would love it. I'm sure you all would love it. And we all love doing this. Uh, And so, yeah, I am super stoked. We've got some awesome ideas for holiday coverage this month for Halloween uh, that we are very excited to bring to you. Uh, And until then, Teak, what are you most excited about right now, and where can the folks uh, find you? Yes, I got it. You can find me at Kevo Really. That's K E V O R E A L L Y. Don't you take it from here, Teak? Uh, and also to answer Nico's question about uh, what I love about all the shows we're watching, uh, yeah. I love that you found a way to tie them all together thematically in a way that's totally true to life. Um, or true to the experience of the show, I should say. One of the things that I am most excited about with all these shows is I think they represent the best of what streaming serial television is today. Great. Um, They really are excellence in that category, Yeah, uh, including Drag Race and Lego Masters. You know, for all that I'm very critical of Drag Race, I still think, as Nico mentioned, it is talented people showing you their talent. Yeah, you're you're critical about it. You spend like 12 hours a week watching it and 10 hours a week talking about it. And absolutely loving it. And like I say, you know... With the exception of like little things here and there, I mean, I never get on social media and say nasty stuff about a queen. Uh, I love them all. Uh, even if somebody doesn't work for me, I will always say that's a me thing and never that it's, you know, just somebody being trash or deserving any kind of like ridicule or mockery. Uh, again, same thing goes for a show like Lego Masters. As Nico pointed out, like as somebody who builds Lego constantly, he would need two weeks 
to do what these people do. And, and I I'd could not even last place and be eliminated every week. I was going to say, I can't, I wouldn't no. even be able to get through the door without slipping. So, you know, I'm, this is never to kind of, when somebody doesn't resonate, it's that it's me that is not resonating with them. It's not them that's doing anything wrong. But anyway, this is just a group of really excellent shows kind of representing the best of what happens on streaming. I don't have cable anymore. I don't even have broadcast. Uh, everything I get is through streaming, and I do think it is a better format for TV. I think it is just a really huge, chaotic mess, and there is so much bad stuff. I feel very privileged that I run with a pack that really likes the good stuff and is okay filtering out the bad stuff. Um, well, and I got to ask you a question. I mean, your yeah. life was changed today. Uh, you know, you for the first time ever heard the most perfect Halloween song of all time oh my God. as I made you listen to Disneyland Paris's Halloween Halloween. The uh, sexiest Halloween song I've ever heard with the gentlest R&B groove that is just ever so spooky. Well, that actually brings us back to a joke that I didn't get to make yesterday for you when you Please. were jamming out to spooky, scary skeletons yes. before uh, the broadcast. And I don't know if you were already aware that the person who wrote spooky, scary skeletons also wrote another song that is very near and dear to our hearts, especially this gent up here. Yep. He wrote the theme song to Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. So, yeah, no wonder Nico the spooky R&B. He yeah. loves Andrew Gold. Andrew Gold, thank and you. And Golden Girls. Man, I, I fucking hate life because I want to go another two and a half hours just to keep talking to Tori. Uh, I guess I'll just have to message her. I'm lucky enough to have uh, her deets. But, so, um, anyway, direct line. You can find me at TK Elemental if you want to talk to me about all of this. Speaking and... of direct lines. Exactly. It's on social media. But Nico, yeah. where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this incredible network at X's for show on all your social media. As for me, you can find me on the Soch. And that's Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I could not love making this show more. Oh, man. I was in a really bad mood when this show started. Yeah, and you then... were just being with these guys being with this audience being able to talk about the things i love art is healing and that's the thing that tasty cake was talking about earlier having a friend who's going through dialysis and finding solace in lego that's really the art of healing whatever form healing takes for me it's my piano and screaming pretty hard um you know but it's also for me being on this show and for some people it's putting on that beautiful drag beat and getting out there and sharing that art. And for Rosario Dawson, it's being a part of every IP that will continue to pay her the residuals that she needs to you know, stay accustomed to the Cory Booker life. And uh, so until we come back to talk about my favorite New Jersey politician, since Jim McGreevy said he is a gay American, uh, there's three things you need to do. Me too. Number one, you got to stay safe. That's uh, what Ahsoka would want. Number two, you got to be brave. It's what Mabel would want. And number three, you have to evolve daily. It's what Paris would want. Yeah, 100%. Evolve hourly if you can. Become a lizard person. It's better um, than being a human. But uh, And then just go right back. And that's also evolving. And that's fine. Break that warp barrier. 
break that warp barrier in your hearts, in your souls. And guys, we are so excited. Guys, as a guys, girls, and all of my Everybody, non-binary royalty. All of you between, watching. Uh, in a good burger way, we're all dudes. And we'll see you next time.